Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Is that a golf hat we got today, Kev? Well, golf hat. Wishing that the weather would call for that. Usually you get like a December day in the 50s, but I don't envision that on the horizon at all. It's just the, I have always said, and this is funny because my favorite city, well, I have a lot of favorite cities actually, but one of my favorite places in the United States is Seattle. I absolutely love Seattle, but I have always said in the wintertime here, it is not the temperature that ever bothers me. It's the lack of sunshine. Like the the overcast, I mean, at this the soup, like it's soupy out, right? Can we just break through and get some sun? I mean, the sun. Makes for about a 10-degree difference this time of year as well. We haven't seen it in years. Certainly did not see it inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse last night. One of the uglier throwback NBA games you'll see in quite some time. 87-82. That's the lowest scoring NBA game in over a year. The Pacers lose to the Heat last night. Plenty to get to on this Kevin and Query. Good Tuesday morning to you. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jay Query. The voice you just heard, Mark Dykton. Running the show per usual. Uh, the Purdue Boilermakers continue to add some accolades here early in the season. We'll get an update on their football head coaching search with Tom Deanhart at 8.30. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers, going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. In the Colts news, they will be sticking with Matt Ryan at starting quarterback. And Jake T.Y. Hilton going to go chase a ring down in Dallas. Good for him. Yeah, I listen... I was on with Charlie Clifford yesterday. He was asking me, you know, my thoughts on it, and my thoughts were pretty simple, which was Dallas, you know, feels like they need a receiver. Can T.Y. Hilton be a guy that's going to come in and week to week be the T.Y. Hilton we know? Probably not. But, you know, you could look at it and say, well, if he's ready to play then why wasn't he ready to play for the Colts? Why weren't the Colts ready to, to pick him up and use him, especially in a year where they they could have used a stretch receiver like that? I, I don't know that what you're getting is the T.Y. Hilton of 2013, right? But good for him. Did he want to re-sign here? Good, good point as well. Very good point. I mean, why would you, right? I, I, I think that he probably – the situation probably was such – T.Y. Hilton is at the point in his career, obviously the end of it, where there's no purpose or point in any marriage between himself and a team that is not headed somewhere. Like, he's a final piece guy. He's not a, hey, let's see what we have here and build around him guy, which is what the Colts situation would have been in. The Colts were in need of more contribution than what he would have brought to the table. I think yesterday when I saw the news, it's kind of a sign of respect to T.Y. Hilton in that you look at that Dallas football team, they're not in a desperate, dire need for a wideout. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. has been a popular name for them over the past couple of weeks. It sounds like the appeal to Hilton was he can help you out right now, can build some sort of chemistry with Dak Prescott here over the final few games as Dallas you know, tries to lock up, in all likelihood, a wild card berth. But then, obviously, they'll need him come playoff time. You know, I I look at that Dallas coaching staff and thought to myself, I mean, Joe Philbin is their offensive line coach. Scott Tolzien is actually an offensive assistant for them. Mike McCarthy and Scott Tolzien were together in Green Bay. 
And I think that's a sign that those two guys, in Phil, Philbin and Tolzien, clearly had some sort of opinion that they gave to Mike McCarthy. There's a couple of ex-Colts on that team, and Malik Hooker and Matt Overton and a few other guys. Um, I think it's a credit to T.Y. Hilton that they don't believe he's some diva wideout at the age of 33 that's yeah. going to walk in that building and demand this and that over the final few games. I think he's very conscious of the role he's being asked to do and be a compliment to C.D. Lamb and obviously that running back duo, um, but at the same time provide a veteran presence for the uh, for the Cowboys. Yeah, I think he's been, you know, it shows that despite wearing himself on his socks and his t-shirt and the clown mask once, which was funny, uh, he's been a good citizen, right? I mean, he has not been your typical diva. To play wide receiver, you've got to have a little diva in you. You've got to have a very strong belief in yourself. I think he does, but I don't think it ever bled over into... Maybe he might have called out some teammates, but I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that he was ever a distraction. No, the far the- end of the diva scale for right, wideouts. Right. Um, the big news, of course, locally, as you had talked about, and we will talk about over the course of this morning, um, the Pacers last night with Victor Oladipo back in the building. Not a huge night for Victor Oladipo, obviously, but, oh, I don't know, midway through the day yesterday... And a pretty seismic jump, as a matter of fact, if that's the right word, but a pretty big leap, three spots in the new AP men's college basketball top 25 for the second year in a row ascending to the top of college basketball. Ten and zero, the Boilermakers of Purdue, the number one team in the land, and the Associated Press poll. Of course, last year when they got to number one, they were upset by Rutgers at Rutgers. I believe that might be the origin of our Let's Go chant. Uh, Virginia, Connecticut, Alabama, and Houston rounding out the top five. Thank you. Indiana, despite losing to Arizona, the Hoosiers standing pat at number 14. Arizona moved up one spot by beating Indiana. So I think they probably saw that game as somewhat of a push going in. Very closely compacted top three. 27 first place votes for Purdue, 19 for Virginia, 15 for UConn. Um, It's a December ranking. It's also an incredible accomplishment for a team to do it in back-to-back seasons, for a team that did it in losing Jaden Ivey, an All-American type player in Travion Williams, Sasha Stefanovic, a multi-year starter, Um, And Jake, I would say probably the most impressive thing, they're the earliest team in college basketball history to go from unranked to number one. That is pretty cool, isn't it? Like They they weren't spoon-fed the, hey, you're preseason ranked four, and you can just climb up the rankings. You only need to jump three people. Purdue mentioned this yesterday. They have five quad one wins. I know it's a little early to start getting into the resume jargon. No other college basketball team has more than three. And if you look at those five wins, four of them are away from home. Um, so it's very, very impressive what That's Matt... That's here. Thank you, Coach Ursay, on that one. Uh, very impressive what Matt Painter has done. And it's not like they are... They were super reliant on the transfer portal, this five-star freshman. They brought in a couple freshmen. They're in their starting lineup. Zach Eady's development... Continues as I said, you know, a couple weeks ago. Matt Painter does a brilliant job of finding the right pieces to the puzzle and fitting that puzzle together. And uh, credit to them, I think it's a fun, fun accomplishment. Again, means very little in the in the grand scheme of things for for March and all of that. Uh, but for your program to do that in back to back seasons, when you've had the roster turnover turnover that you've had, 
rare eras. Where did Jim Mercer said? Where did Connecticut start out the year ranked? Because Danny Hurley's done a great job with Connecticut. I, I didn't hear a lot about Connecticut heading into the year, but I don't think they were too too high. That's who Butler has on Saturday to open up Big East play. I, I, I like. I like seeing Connecticut back up towards the top in college basketball. I, you know, that was a program that was relatively unheard of in my childhood until late high school. Obviously, when Jim Calhoun got there, and they were kind of the the feel good story. You know, Christian Leitner beat them one year. Um, Tate George had a big shot for them. You know, and then they kind of broke through, and you got tired of them after a while. But it is kind of cool to see Connecticut. My understanding is stores Connecticut. Like, you would never go to school there unless you were playing basketball. I mean, it's a fine school. I'm just saying. Apparently, it's not the greatest campus in the world. Middle of nowhere, Connecticut. Zach Eady, three straight Big Ten Player of the Week honor, 17 points, 17 and a half rebounds. I mean, that part is amazing. Three and a half blocks for Eady last week. Uh, the last Purdue player, Jake, to go three straight Big Ten Player of the Week? Boy, that's a great question. Uh, may I ask a hint question, please? Sure. Um uh, would this have been during the time of my to go three straight career? Big Ten? Sorry, what are we doing, there? What are we doing, Mark? Got to keep an eye on the chat. <laughs> it auto played. <laughs> okay, uh, would this be during my career as a broadcaster? Yeah. So that would rule out Glenn Robinson. I would have gone with Glenn Robinson first. Uh, first time. Let's see. Okay, Jaden Ivey would be my first guess. Carl last- Landry. Oh, okay. That was during my... Carl Landry was a very underrated player. He was the king of the put-back three-point play with a foul. He was a, he was a very good player. Yes, he was. Um, What's your overall mood on... And we'll get into this a lot more, Kevin. What's your overall mood on Matt Ryan and Jeff Saturday's like insistence of Matt Ryan sticking by him? Yeah, again, all last week I mentioned I thought Matt Ryan should be benched. Um I don't understand why he's being thrown back out there. Again, this is a, they believe he's the best guy for the job right now. It also kind of hit me yesterday, Jake, when Jeff Saturday made that announcement. When you stink, and the Colts stink, and a 37-year-old QB starts 15 of 17 games in that season, that is a waste of a season. And that's what the Colts 2022 season, that's how I will view it. An absolute waste of a season in that you thought the 37-year-old, 15-year veteran quarterback was going to get you to some sort of level of whatever, winning the division and making a run in the playoffs. And instead, you're 4-8-1. and one. And if you're going to be bad, be bad with youth. Don't be bad with old. And the Colts are bad with old. And it's a waste of a season. And it looks like Matt Ryan will start 15 of 17 games this year. Um, I've mentioned it several times over the last couple of weeks. You run a major financial risk in throwing him back out there. There are roster bonuses of $10 million and $7 million, two different bonuses that he could earn if he were to get hurt in these final four games for the 2023 season. So that is a risk. I also sat there and thought to myself, what does it say about the state of your quarterback room in that you think that Matt Ryan is the best option? Like, is can Nick Foles not throw the ball from me to you? I, I think the thing with Nick Foles, Kevin, is he is... Nick, Nick Foles is stuck... 
What's that song, Stuck in the Middle with You? Mm-hmm. Stuck in the Middle with You. Steeler's Wheel, yeah. Uh, that's from... Um, Good tone at 7, 12 yeah, in the morning. Yeah, exactly. That, he's stuck in the middle, Nick Foles, and I'll tell you why. If you're going to go with a veteran, just to go with a veteran because you think maybe it gives you a chance to win games... I guess you just go with Matt Ryan because you're paying him, and and that's the guy that you brought in to do that anyway. What type if of message gonna, does that send your locker room? Hey, the guy that leads the league in turnovers, we're going to continue to stick with him. I, I know, but leads the league in interceptions and fumbles. Just in case you're curious, and if you're going to go and turn over the, you know, if you're going to, if you're saying, you know what, we're we're now playing for seeing what we have elsewhere, then you go with Sam Ellinger. I, to me, Nick Foles is just Matt Ryan light. I mean, what's he going to do for you? Are you trying to win games? But at least you don't run the financial risk of possibly owing him $17 million if he were to get hurt. Good point. I See, mean, Jake, I think something that you, you've mentioned here in, in the last couple of days, and uh, the more I think about it, Jake, I think all three of these guys are on the same page. I think Ursay, Ballard, and Saturday all want to win, and they all want to win right now because they're all nervous about their resumes. Well, Ursay's not. Ursay wants Jeff Saturday to work. Okay. And Ballard knows that if they continue to lose and you fire the head coach, it exposes your roster even more. It's funny because last night Charlie Clifford was asking me, what, how many games does Jeff Saturday have to win to become the permanent head coach? And my answer to that was, uh, Jeff Saturday doesn't have to win any more. I, Jim Ursay plucked Jeff Saturday out of a TV booth and put him in as the head coach of the Colts because he had a belief in him, regardless of what the results are going to be. And if Jeff Saturday is the head coach here next year, it's because he is their safety school. It's because Jim Harbaugh and Leslie Frazier and other people turned it down or weren't interested. My opinion. I don't have anything to base that on, but that's my opinion. Is Saturday in the mix? Sure. But I don't think he's like the first guy that they go towards. But it's like, well, if nothing else works out, the, the, I'm going to repeat what I've said a thousand times, Kevin. It's going to be difficult for the Colts to hire Jeff Saturday full time only because of, and I know that you don't care about optics. I don't mean you. I'm saying as, a, as an organization, you can't get swept up in PR. But the out of left field, unorthodox nature in which led him to become the interim coach is fine. And there are, you know, rules about hiring don't apply for interim. But if you then turn around and make him the full time, then everybody's going to go see he. They didn't care one iota about the Rooney Rule or anything else. As ridiculous as that is, given the Colts' history with minority coaches, but I just feel like if Jeff Saturday is the head coach next year, it's going to be because others were not interested. I don't know. At this point, I think we've seen enough body of work to kind of get an idea. If they win four in a row, is suddenly all of a sudden he going to be the guy? I mean, you tell me. I see. I don't have a great answer for that. I, I, like they're they're one and three with Jeff Saturday as the head football coach. They've gotten off to better starts. Their O line play slightly improved. They can't finish games. The offense still can't score. I I don't know if I consider Jake and say with like strong conviction that Jeff Saturday is a awesome football coach or a horrific football coach right i think it's just a very difficult process to to evaluate the colts did not get help last night from the arizona cardinals kyler murray being carted off after the third play of the game certainly didn't help 
that cause. Uh, Patriots outscore Arizona 17 to nothing after halftime. So the Patriots win. The Cardinals move to 4-9 and nine on the year, which again does not help the Colts in their draft position. So with four games to go in the season, the Colts will enter this final quarter in the seventh spot in the draft order. It should be noted, if you look right behind the Colts in that draft order, again, the Colts are 4-8-1. and one. You have seven teams at 5-8. and eight. Seven teams at 5-8. and eight. Colts are 4-8-1. and one. So what that means is this. If the Colts screw around and get a couple wins, you could drop in that draft order pretty quickly. I got to thinking about this. I think we briefly mentioned this yesterday. Does it really matter for the Colts? Does it really matter if Arizona drafts ahead of them? Well, Kyler tore his ACL last night. Well, fair. But again, Jake, what if they clean house? Ah, you, you would think that you hold on to the guy that you've given a huge deal to, right? Seems like a lot of dysfunction I mean, is somebody in that organization. Take that on, though? I don't know. Seems like that. that is just... I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that a new regime would walk in there and say, oh yeah, Kyler Murray seems like an unbelievable citizen, an unbelievable football player. He's worth that money. We're going to take that on. Well, but but who, but what do you, I mean, do you see people lighting up for Kyler Murray? N- not necessarily, but again, a new regime comes in and they're going to make their presence felt. And I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk. Now, I mean, you have teams like Philly, of course. You have teams like Chicago that are both above Indianapolis. They would fall into the category of teams that you would not expect them to take a quarterback. Um, so that would be advantageous for the Colts to have more of those teams. Uh, I was inside Gamebridge Field last night, Jake. I thought the Victor Oladipo reaction was about what I thought it would be. Very subdued, and if anything, slightly more booze than cheers. Really? I would say a little bit more cheer post-tribute video, but certainly when he entered the game, That's more, a, more booze than cheers. How many? So he entered the game how many times? He played what, like 17 minutes, something like that? Sounds right. Yeah, he entered the game midway through the first quarter. So was it one of those that, because I was not there last night, I actually was watching Indiana-Syracuse, the soccer national championship. Oh, look at you, you Um, footballer. I caught it. uh, I actually went out and did a little Christmas shopping. I I caught it in the second overtime. I watched the entirety of that and then the penalty kicks. I have my own. I I don't want to hear from the soccer people, but I I have my own thoughts about penalty kicks. Yeah. Okay. Mm, this um, could be a scorching take. I know. But um but nonetheless, it was exciting to watch and the ESPNU used student broadcasters. I- I'm assuming they were from Syracuse, but they were outstanding. I mean, it was a very very well done broadcast. Seems a bit game. biased. Um but yeah, I know. I thought about that. But anyway, it was fun to watch. But when Oladipo a lot of times when that happens, Kevin, like a guy comes into a game and the crowd is very vociferous, and then the second time that he checks in, you kind of you can tell people kind of woke up. Oh, he's he's back, Jerry. He's back. We got to do it again. And then by like the third time, he's just another guy. That's kind of how it felt. I mean, there were some times where you know he would try to isolate himself and, and you know try and make a play, kind of one on one. And I would say there was you know a handful of people that were rather loud and, and booing him or, you know, maybe kind of a a a cheer if he turned the ball over. He had a couple of assists but didn't really do anything. Um, but again, just an ugly game. I mean, Miami, 
thing about when you watch the Heat, and I know you've you've watched a lot of Miami, Jake. They are always just so locked in on the defensive end of the floor. And Bam Adebayo is one of the more unique players in the NBA because what Miami did last night is they simply said, Tyrese Halliburton, if you want to run the pick-and-roll game and you think Bam Adebayo isn't able to guard you, watch this. And when Bam switched on him, it was still the same sort of suffocating length that teams, I think, are trying to throw at Halliburton. I think... The Pacers are 20, what, eight, eight games in the season. The scouting report is there on the Indiana Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton's the head of the snake, and you've got to get a stranglehold on him. And Miami did that last night in a terrific manner. Uh, shocking to see Halliburton not score a bucket. Eric Spolstra can coach, man. I'm telling you, I watch a lot of Miami, and Eric Spolstra, their floor spacing, their team defense, that they, Miami might be as good a team defensively as exists in the NBA. I mean, they can really guard you, really guard you. Um, and they just seem to have bought into the scouting report every time. That's a very good way of saying it. Yeah, they know exactly. Do you remember when, let me tell you what Miami does, and I think these two guys actually have known each other a long time. But do you remember when when Butler was making their you know their back to back Final Four appearances? The thing about Butler that always amazed me. I thought you meant Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he cut his hair. By the way, yeah, I was going to say going. I didn't see Brian yeah. Grant last night. Mark, I wasn't hallucinating there though, right? No, like, no, yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, he kind of took over late. Yeah, he, that's what he does, right? And I thought Mark Monteith made a really good point of Benedict Matherin could be a Jimmy Butler type player. That's a perfect comparison. Ooh. Because of the body strength down low. I like that. But when Butler made that run, and you think about when they were beating Michigan State or Virginia Commonwealth in the semifinals or you know whatever it might be, they seemingly knew where every loose ball was going to be. Every odd carom off the rim, and it goes off into the corner there were two butler players around it before anybody else they you know a guy springs free and it's about to drive the lane there's two guys on him right there it just they they were so well prepared in scouting to know not only what players tendencies are but in addition to that to also know what the ball tendency is off of that player's hand and I think people that scout basketball know what I mean when I say that. But, and anyway, that's what the Miami Heat look like. They just look like they know, okay, this guy shoots it, and 48% of the time that he shoots it, it goes short and to the left, so I better get to that position. You know, that kind of thing. Just really well coached. They recover for each other so well. Uh, 87-82 again, the final last night. Indiana got off to another slow start. Got back into the game in the second quarter. Actually took a lead in the third quarter there. It was tied... Yeah, probably about midway through the fourth quarter. Then again, Jimmy Butler took over. Uh, did you feel like Adam Silver thought to, uh, you know, for a second there being in the building last night? This is probably what David Stern was used to watching the NBA. Yes. 87 right? 82. That was like the first quarter score on Saturday night against the Nets. Pretty much, yeah. By the way, Eric Spolstra, I have probably mentioned this, if not once, 15 times, so maybe I'm being redundant. It's an awful thing to say, but. Eric Spolstra was witness to and was in the frame of one of the most tragic video clips in basketball of the last 35 years. Do you know what it is? Hmm. No. I mean, when I say this, and I apologize that this is kind of a rough way to start the morning, but 
the terrible video, which fortunately hasn't necessarily been overly broadcast a lot, but everyone knows about it. When Hank Gathers collapsed, the Loyola Marymount star in 1990, uh, when he collapsed of a heart attack on the floor, Eric Spolster was the point guard for Portland that was standing about 10 feet away from him. Really? Yeah. Um, and that, that was the league he played in, though, was... I think that might be the same league. The big what? Maybe Gonzaga and St. Mary's now are the cream of that league. I think that's the same league. West Coast Conference? Yeah, but that's where he played. Eric Spolstra. A lot to get to this morning. We'll talk a little bit more about Purdue. Not only the fact that they are ranked number one, but also their head coaching search. We'll do that at 8 o'clock with Tom Deanhart. Rick Carlisle joins us at 9.30. Morning check down coming up to get you caught up on what you might have missed over the course of last night. It is a good-looking Tuesday morning, and by that I mean... The world's largest Christmas tree on Monument Circle looks spectacular. Whether or not the sun joins it later today remains to be seen. It's Kevin and Query here, 93.5-1075, the fan. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan. It was an ugly one last night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, 87-82. Yes, that is a final score. The Heat over the Pacers. Pacers fall to 14-14 and 14 on the year. Just stifling defense on Tyrese Halliburton. Only had one point in the game. <laughs> Obviously, no made field goals. The one point via technical foul shot. Uh, here is Rick Carlisle afterwards on what Miami did to the Pacers point guard. I know the first question is going to be about Halliburton scoring one point, and here's the answer. He goes 0 for 9, scores one point, and he's still plus 7 in the game. That's what a great player looks like. You know, you just find other ways to impact the game. They expended a lot of, lot of energy on him. You know, unfortunately, you know, we just uh, couldn't muster up enough offense. Jenkins, I think he had a big assist number. So I understand what Carlisle was saying to an extent, but still, 82 points when a guy that you're used to giving you, what, 20 and 10, and those 10 assists obviously being worth at least two points per assist. You know, that's 40-some points he usually gives you, and last night he gave you like 13 or 15 of that. So I guess what he would mean there is that a great player like that, it's kind of up to the response. On nights when he is doing that, it's because of the defensive effort on him. Thus, it's the responsibility of other players to take advantage of a little more freedom defensively of what's guarding them, and maybe they didn't. that's not what they got, you know? Um but nonetheless, Pacers a chance to bounce back, if you will, against. And again, I I don't want to be mean or rude here. Uh, I don't have any tickets left f- because I know your kids want to see Steph Curry on Wednesday. I I, I don't have. Will he play though? It's a good question. Warriors Bucks tonight. Mentioned it on yesterday's show. The second night of back to backs have been a little hit or miss for Steph Curry this season. So I think if you have a ticket to tomorrow night's game and you want to see Steph Curry, what you want to see tonight is a blowout. One way or the other. Warriors, Bucks, you want to see a blowout. You don't want to see Steph Curry on the floor late. Um, but again, I don't think it's a slam dunk that he plays tomorrow night here at uh, Cambridge Fieldhouse. Uh, college basketball last night, IUPUI. 75-53 winners over Spalding. Spalding Division Three, by the way, is 1-7 now. Uh, here are the teams that Spalding has played. I'd like to know how many of these you've heard of. You ready? Uh, Spalding has played Wilmington. I'm guessing that's UNC Wilmington, who had Brian Rousem that in the 87 Hoosier Classic that was a good player and drafted by the Pacers. Uh, Hanover. Sure. Bellhaven. Mm. Rhodes. Oh, yeah. Scholar. Rhodes Scholar. Boyce. Berea. 
JJ? <laughs> Just him. It was one on five. And they still lost 64-63. J.J. with an amazing shot in the Talk end. Talk about a guy who could just be nagging you all game long. J.J. Bray would be that. And they're, since they're in the area, they're just hanging out, and then they're playing Franklin on Saturday. So I don't know if they're going back to Louisville Spalding, but that's Spalding's schedule. I think I was IUPUI's other win this year, Franklin. Was it really? <laughs> Nothing like the 11 a.m. Monday tip for IUPUI yesterday, but nonetheless a win. Is a win for the Jags. Other college basketball news from yesterday. The Boilermakers of Purdue up to number one in the AP poll. It's the earliest ever you've had a preseason unranked team climb to number one. They're the ninth team in the history of college basketball to do that over the course of a season. Early January had been the previous um, kind of early mark in a season for a team to do that. Jake, just a hell of an accomplishment. You know, when you're preseason ranked again, unranked, it's not like they brought in, you know, seven transfer portals and four, four five-star freshmen. A pretty impressive accomplishment for the Boilers. Uh, last for uh, Pacers Warriors, by the way, on the resale market, uh-huh. not outrageous. 28 bucks. It's not bad. So. For a Pacer game, that is outrageous. Yeah. Usually it's like six bucks to get in the upper deck. True, but to see Steph Curry and the like, even if they're on the Theoretically. bench. Huh? Theoretically. Yeah, potentially. Maybe. Even if they're on the bench. Yeah. Hey, look, there he is. Yeah, He's there he is. Look at his sweatsuit. Drinking blue Gatorade. I can see it. <laughs> uh, last night in college men's soccer, Indiana short in and penalty kick 7-6 in the penalty kicks after double overtime losing to Syracuse. It is the first national championship for Syracuse. It was the 17th championship appearance for the Hoosiers. Who you got today? Mm-hmm. Uh, Croatia or Argentina? So you got Croatia, Argentina, and then Morocco, France, right? Tomorrow, yeah. Morocco, France, tomorrow. Uh, I'm going Croatia. The runner-up from last World Cup, right? I'm going Croatia. Mostly because my buddy Michael from Melbourne, Australia, uh, Daniela, is his his, uh, gorgeous significant other. She is a native of Croatia. So I'm going Croatia. Woo! Okay, thanks. I don't know. We're cheering for the gorgeous, significant other. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Rick Carlisle going to join us around 8.30 again. We'll get an update no, on 9 Purdue. 9.30. 9.30, excuse me. We'll get an update on Purdue's head coaching search on the football front. That is at 8.30. Um, again, Carlisle at 9.30. Uh, Purdue's at 8, right? <laughs> Mark. <laughs> really screwing the pooch here, Kev. <laughs> I thought we had a text yesterday that said 8.30. <laughs> You're all over the map. Yes, 8.30 for Tom Dean. No, you told me 8 o'clock for Tom Dean. I don't know what the hell I said. What are you doing? Literally right here, 8.30, Tom Dean. What what did you say to me earlier when I asked? Well, you told me to pull pull the Purdue fight song. (laughs) Yeah, who's on today? I don't remember. You said Tom Dean at 8 a.m. Okay, so both of them on the 30s. Is that what we've established? We probably should have a meeting about this. (laughs) Jake, did you not look at the phone when Mark texted us yesterday? Did you not? Okay. For everybody behind the scenes here, I'd like to give a peek behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, but the three of us the sitting right here. Headset every morning. I said the headset was here. Brennan King apparently left it here. He was the last person to log into this computer. He didn't log out. That's fine. We'll get to that to another time. But uh, when I came in, I said I can't find my text from yesterday. Mark, would you mind relaying to me what time our guests are this morning? And you said, because I wrote it right here and then repeated it to mm-hmm. me, Tom Deemhart, 8 a.m., Rick Carlisle at 9.30. Okay, good. I wrote that down. 
Now you're telling me that you might have actually relayed information that was contrary to what yeah. you had previously It happens. I'm doing things here. <laughs> so you are admitting to your guilt, are you not? Yes. Okay, I have Guilty no further charge. No, it's, it's, like it's this kind of chemistry that makes us like the top 30 <laughs> mid-market radio morning show. 8.30, Purdue football wait, head wait, coach wait, wait, and search top update what? there. Top 30. <laughs> okay. Tom Deanhart, Rick Carlisle at 9.30. Kevin and Query on a Tuesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. NFL Network had the uh, contract numbers for T.Y. Hilton, 600000 guaranteed. Some playoff incentives on top of that uh, makes up a max value for T.Y. Hilton of $1.5 million as he joins the Dallas Cowboys. I wonder, Jake, how much it was on T.Y.'s mind of, I want to watch Eugene play his first you know, I think full, full varsity football season at Zionsville and then make a move kind of post-Thanksgiving, end of December. I think that probably factored in. I think also, Kevin, there are certain things that happen where you reach a point, you know, T.Y. Hilton was theoretically at the point in his life where I'm certain, I don't know this for a fact, I think we can all assume it, uh, you know, he probably didn't need money, right? I mean, it wasn't like he's like, oh, man, I you know, my 401k, I got behind on it and I didn't contribute enough. I mean, what did he make in his last career, his last contract? Yeah, year, right. I, I would guess he's and, doing okay. And he seems like a pretty smart guy. I mean, you know, he's not an outlandish. Cost of living in Zinesville, Indiana, I don't think it's over the top. Correct. It's not like he's buying, pri- you know, you get it. So I think he just was in the situation where if you are T.Y. Hilton especially at the age at T.Y. Hilton's age the bounce back for the body is a lot less than what it is when you are 24 yeah just turned 33 T.Y. and so you know he probably was like you know what I have the luxury from a financial and name recognition standpoint to be able to be selective and I don't need to just go and sign a deal to go play with the Jacksonville Jaguars to be on a roster. I don't need to just go at the last minute in September and sign a deal to go toil in complete wide receiver anonymity with the Chicago Bears just to be on a roster. So you hang out, you you kind of enjoy life, you get your body rested quite frankly, and you spare your body the rest or, or the, the punishment of the rigors of every week. And then at the end, you go, okay, so whose who's car do I want to get in here? I mean, we're at lap 180 of the Indy 500. Who's running well in the top 10? You know, I mean, a Connor Daly or... And Elio Castroneves that's sitting on the outside looking for a ride. I mean, Castroneves is not, but you get what I'm saying. For the Indy 500, if you if you were to ask him and say, you know what, like you can jump into a car lap 180 that's running ninth, or you can start in the 30th position from the get-go, which one would you take, right? So I get it. And 
I didn't realize necessarily. Tell me this, Kevin. I was surprised that it was Dallas, though. I mean, not not from a the record standpoint, but pardon my naivete here. But but what all of a sudden facilitated for Dallas to have the need to call up to Zionsville, Indiana? You know, if I'm not mistaken, I think he visited Dallas back kind of late summer, um, maybe even some point during training camp into the preseason. So I think this was always a potential team. I think Dallas looks at it and feels very comfortable about what they have, but feel like another wide-out move was necessary. And then there's just no slam dunk that Odell Beckham Jr., A, is going to sign with them, and B, is healthy enough to impact right now. I mean, the thing about Dallas, Jake, they're going to be on the road in all likelihood week one of the playoffs. Dallas is not going to be able to ease into this playoff run. I mean, they are at Tampa Bay if the playoffs started today. It's been that way for the last couple of weeks. It's looking like it will continue to be that way. So when you factor that in, you know, you're going to have to, if you want to make a run to the Super Bowl, potentially win three road playoff games. And I think it's a credit to T.Y. that Dallas felt like this move that they needed to make that move and T.Y. was the one that they wanted to make that move with. In that, you look at what they have. CeeDee Lamb, of course, will get all the attention as that number one wide out. They obviously have a really good running back duo in Tony Pollard and Zeke. Uh, their tight end group is pretty deep. But yet, they feel like Hilton can come in there. And again, there's connections on the coaching staff with Joe Philbin and Scott Tolzien being on that coaching staff. That T.Y.'s kind of earned the right as a pro that, hey, he can come in here. There's still a little bit of juice left in the tank. And he'll be a good pro, even if his targets are only three or four. Over the course of a game. Right. I mean, that's the thing, right? You have to know that. I, I think that we... Because it's a luxury move. It's not like Dallas is in a desperate need. It's not like CeeDee Lamb tours ACL last week. They're trying to find this balance of, can we get a little bit of help, but not ruffle the feathers too much? How long have you played fantasy football, Kevin? Oh, gosh. I don't... A decade. Probably, I don't know. Mark, how long have you played fantasy football? I'm horrible at it. Jeez, probably 15 years. Okay. At least. Have either one of you guys had a situation in fantasy football where you looked at it and you're like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. My running back's on a bye. So you go on the available players list and you see a name that pops out and you're like, holy cow. Or even during the draft when you're doing an online draft and you're like, Hang on, hold the phone. I can't believe this guy's available. As a fifth rounder, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. So you, you you take him, right? And you're like, people are like, how's your fantasy team? You're like, dude, you're not going to believe this. I got Dante Moncrief in the fifth round. Or you, you, you won't believe this. Adrian Peterson was available. And I, I, I totally picked him up. Who's he with now? I think Washington. And then the results come in and you're like, wait a minute. There's a reason this guy was around. Like, he didn't do anything for me. But in your mind, you were looking at the name and you were seeing the results from three years ago in your head. You're like, this guy's a dynamic player. Well, he's not anymore. But in your mind, you were like, wow, I had no idea how quickly they'd fall off a shelf. I'm not saying T.Y. Hilton has completely fallen off a shelf, Kevin. But what I'm saying is I think there are people that think, and who am I? Like, you know, you're not going to hear me sit here all the time and for just for the sake of it jump up and down defending Chris Ballard I try not to do the same on the other side either but in this case 
I don't think there should be anybody that's like, why in the world would Chris Ballard not sign T.Y. Hilton now that we know that he's ready to play? Because A, to your point, maybe he didn't want to play in Indianapolis. And B, I, I do think that he is, there's the strong possibility that he becomes the guy that like the biggest news about him in Dallas was his signing. And that you're falling in love with, not you personally, but I think we fall in love with the numbers of like 2014 T.Y. Hilton just signed with Dallas. I don't think that's probably the case. No, no, not. Uh, yeah, I think I would be foolish to think that that Dallas believes that, thinks that, needs that. I think it's more of a, can you be a supporting act? Can you be a veteran guy that has been there, has playoff experience? Can you make a couple catches when, you know, things get ratcheted up from a pressure standpoint and C.D. Lamb is, you know, taken away or there is a lot of attention towards him on that front. I think the load that he's expected to carry with the Cowboys as opposed to what he would have told to carry with the Colts is vastly different. Excellent that might point. have made a Excellent point, yes. big decision. Yeah. You know. And I think that that was lightning a little bit last year as Michael Pittman started to emerge. Uh, but yes, I, I think that is a good, good point. Uh, did you think at all with the Matt Ryan news yesterday that it was kind of a wasted year for Sam Ellinger? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, Kevin, this this has been my... The 10-game evaluation for Sam Ellinger lasted two. Co- and it cost them the chance at the playoffs. This is what drives me insane about the Indianapolis Colts and why people in this town, no matter where they're driving to work right now, should be driving past West 56th Street in protest. What drives me insane is now you're in a situation where they're now they've decided to go ahead and stop the drain from the water that's circling down it and the season being flushed away because they think they've got a chance to win now and still make maintain a postseason but that was entirely flushed down the toilet when they interrupted their entire season by supplanting into the roster into the starting lineup a quarterback that the owner insisted on seeing despite the fact that didn't nobody even knew for certain he was going to make the roster and then they put him in there they lost two games they yanked him back out and then they were screwed Nobody else asked him to do that. Don't create a problem and then turn around six weeks later and expect me and everybody else in this town to genuflect because of the manner in which you're going about solving a problem that you and only you created. It drives me absolutely insane. You're fired up. It drives me insane. It's it's masterful. We've seen it in so many aspects of American culture for the last five years. Create a problem that is 100% on your own shortcoming and misguidance and misevaluation. And then when you start to correct it, stand on a mountaintop waiting for everybody to pat you on the back for what a genius you are for correcting the problem. I didn't create it. Where's the correction of the problem? Well, now what I'm saying is they're like, look, we're all in on trying to win. Like We got Matt Ryan in there and we're going to try to win games. I'm saying hypothetically, if they if all of a sudden they go on a streak here and they're alive to get into the postseason, it's going to be like what grit, what resiliency, what what true deeping down to the you know the leader of men. And I'm like, yeah, except for the fact that you literally are just now rejoining the race because you decided to take a pit stop and change four tires when everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? I don't know if even the Sam Ellinger detour cost them a playoff spot though I think no I, I don't think if Matt Ryan starts those two games it changes the direction of the season at all but th- I thought Ellinger not, that, was that's not what I'm saying Ellinger was fine against Washington and you would have lost to the Patriots with Matt Ryan or but with Ellinger understood but what I'm saying is they regardless they lost those two games correct yes okay what so what was benefited by it well then you got to look at Ellinger uh, okay 
And again, but, I think that's such a missed the message, opportunity though, with the this The message, season. though, was very clear. The message when you made the decision to go to Ellinger was that you were turning the page on the year and looking forward. But see, that's the scary thing to a lot of people, Jake. That's not what Jim Irsay thought. I, Jim Irsay thought that Sam Ellinger was the better option right then, right now, to try and win football games in 2022. Then why didn't they stick with it? Because Jeff Saturday came in here and there's more trust with Jeff Saturday than there was with Frank Reich. So he began to... So he was addressing a problem that wasn't really a problem. I, I, again... I mean, Jeff Saturday on his Monday press conference, the introductory press conference, says Sam Ellinger will be the starter. And then as the week moves along, it's then Matt Ryan is going to be the starter. Okay. I, again, I mean, they are a dysfunctional franchise. And it wasn't me that created the dysfunction. It wasn't you that created the dysfunction. It wasn't Stephen Holder that created the dysfunction. It wasn't Mike Wells when he was here that created the dysfunction. It wasn't Charlie Clifford. It wasn't Jacksonville. It wasn't Tennessee. The dysfunction started within the franchise. And, I mean, literally, the only thing that's missing is the sound effect of like, whoop, 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 whoop. Because it just looks like three guys going in three different directions to me. That's just my opinion. See, I think all three of That's them. That's the best I got. I think all three of them exactly. are on the same. They might be now, but I'm just saying over the last six Ballard's weeks. Ballard's resume been... looks worse with every loss. And Jim Irsay wants Jeff Saturday to succeed, so he wants him to win football games. I don't think any of them are sitting there saying, oh my gosh, we have to tank to get the number one overall pick. I think Irsay knows the benefit of that behind the scenes. I think there are people telling Irsay that. But I'm not saying he's listening. He should. There's nobody in this town. Nobody. I'm telling you right now, if you're the Indianapolis Colts and you're listening to me right now, I love you. I love what you do for the city. And I love the fact that it allows my hometown to corral together and people to wear blue on Sundays in the grocery store and high five each other. There's a great camaraderie and chemistry that comes from a professional football team in this town. And I love, love, love what it means to this city. However, just so you know, ain't nobody in this town excited about you digging deep down, putting together some sort of run, believing in the fact that you can get into the playoffs, sliding yourself out of the top eight in picks to go onto the road and absolutely get annihilated and get your ass kicked by the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills every, and then hang a banner that to pat yourself on the back for your resiliency of getting a wild card spot or winning a division that absolutely sucks and is the joke of the NFL. Ain't nobody excited about that. Nobody would care. Percentage of the fan base that one would like to see a 4-0 finish, Titans go 1-3, and and you host your first home playoff game in eight years? 4%. 4%. The same that think it's cool that they have a wild card participant banner up in the rafters. And that like to hear bang on the drum for the 35th consecutive year of going to Colts games. I, I think I'm a fan of bang on these drums. <laughs> okay, that. Uh, how about taking care of business? Yeah, <laughs> that one I could probably do without. Jack and Diane, what does that do for you? <laughs> yeah, to start the fourth quarter, I don't know if that really gets me. Third down, here we go, defensive stop time. I, I, I said it earlier, and again, when you stink and you've started a 37-year-old quarterback for 15 of 17 games, it's an absolute waste of a season. If you're going to be bad, play youth. And that, I right, think, is what's such decision, an issue. Make a decision and stick with it. That's what's such an issue with this season is it's a waste. And again, by no means am I acting like Sam Ellinger is some franchise godsend quarterback, but it was even a missed opportunity there. I mean, you look at San Francisco right now, I mean, they're at least going to get some evaluation with Brock Purdy. 
I mean, the Rams have decided, okay, we're not going to go washed-up veteran John Wolford to end the year. We'll go with Baker Mayfield to end the year and get some sort of, hey, it's shot in the dark. There's probably an 8% chance this works out, but we're going to go that route. The Colts are, no, 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 we're going to come back from the bye week and we're going to stick with the 37-year-old Matt Ryan. All chips in, period. With $17 million in financial guarantees sitting there if Matt Ryan were to get hurt. Alright, we got some callers we can get to in the 8 o'clock hour again. Tom Deanhart going to join us around 8.30. We'll get an update from Purdue on their head football search, head coach football search. I guess we're approaching about a week now with that. Again, the early signing period, December 21st. So you would think there should be a little bit of sense of urgency from West Lafayette on that front. And Rick Carlisle going to join us at 9.30. Kevin and Quarry on a Tuesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It does look like a little sun trying to peek through on this Tuesday morning. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Uh, we'll talk some Purdue Football search here for their new head coach. I believe the last Power 5 opening. West Lafayette. Stanford was filled by Troy Taylor from Sacramento State. See, Jason Garrett's name was thrown around with that Stanford opening. Really? I still think he looks too much like the guy from the amazing Technicolor Dream Coat, but that's a whole different time. I don't really care for him as Notre Dame's color analyst this year. Uh, but it sounds like Jason Garrett will be staying with NBC, and then uh, we'll chat with Rick Carlisle coming up around 9.30. Water finding its level with the Pacers? Probably a little of that, yeah. Um, Not sneaking up on anybody. Scouting report now has been made. Well, that's the big thing, and and that's one of the things I want to ask Rick Carlisle with younger players, you know, which is it? Is it does it become more physically challenging or just the fact that defenses are familiar with you, you know? A little of both, probably. I'm curious to this, Kevin, in your opinion, when a player or coach retires and moves into the broadcast booth, whether it be as an analyst or like a studio host, what is their window of relevance before it's before they kind of get pushed aside? You know, Rodney Harrison's a good example. How long did Rodney Harrison do it where he was in the, in the booth for NBC or in the studio? He was in the studio, I guess. Five years, maybe four years? Yeah, sounds about right. And then doesn't the challenge become a lot of people like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm not familiar with him as a player. So when a guy, when there is a guy that retires and you say like, oh man, he's going to be great on TV, he's a great personality, how long can they ride the wave of being a former player? Yeah, I think it helps you out for a couple years, but at some point you've got to create a relevancy as an analyst. Well, like McAfee is a good example sure. of somebody that, you know, his personality carried him beyond that. I I admittedly thought, like, I don't know, how long can you go as, you know, a former punter that played with Peyton Manning? Well, he built his own. Yeah, he created unbelievable entertainment but, value. But, I mean, for the most part, what would you say, three years? Max. Again, I think at some point you've got to be able to, like, I mean, Jason Garrett, I never looked at him this year, Jake, in his first year as being the color analyst for Notre Dame football. I thought to myself, oh, man, former Dallas Cowboy head football coach. Yeah, I love hearing his insight. I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know if he's bringing much to the table. And maybe that's just me, but I think at some point you've got to create 
an early amount of respect for the job at hand. I mean, Drew Brees got roasted last year. Yeah. In his, you know, debut. I, I never really as saw... being an analyst. I, I didn't think he was as bad as people thought he was. But I mean that goes to show you, Jake. You talk about, you know, one of the first bout Hall of Fame quarterback and here's what's funny though. So Drew Brees was an analyst. Obviously he did but he did Notre Dame games, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Where did he play collegiately? Purdue. I realize it is more of a Purdue side of it, but for Notre Dame, from a football standpoint, who are their three to four biggest rivals? Yeah, USC, Michigan, and then probably a big drop. I mean, I, I totally. And then, but but in terms of historically by year, Navy and Purdue probably. I re, I realize for Notre Dame, they just don't play anymore. It's not like the hatred for Purdue, but Purdue fans, not Notre Dame fans at all. You know what I mean? Like, I mean Notre Dame had Pat Hayden as their color analyst for a while. USC yeah, product. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I just, but what I'm saying is, the people that would love to watch Drew Brees. Are Purdue fans, and most Purdue fans can't stand Notre Dame, right? So they're like, they're, they're like, I'm not going to watch Notre Dame to watch Drew Brees. It just seemed like an odd fit to me. Tommy, you want to talk a little Jim Mercer, Mark? Tommy, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? Good man, hey, how are uh, you? Good. Hey, just two two things. Uh, one, so you're talking about this year about how the Colts are normal. They could have been playing on a more youthful approach, but the problem is, is that when you have two like with Ballard and Reich being on the hot seat for the last like year or two like i mean they they got to win and their their decision making from a youth versus experience perspective is going to be different than someone who's in their first year as a, sure. a gm or a coach um, and the other thing in terms of like jim mercy's decision making process like the functionality i mean obviously Pickles haven't been he's made questionable decisions in the past and stuff too but at what point do you uh, know how many people really know, i wouldn't know this but like at what point does the, the the daughter and the, the family come in and say, hey, Jim, it's time to take a seat, or take take a step back and and uh, let let us like take more of a hands off approach with the team? So, just curious what your thoughts. I guess I'll start with the first one um, there, and thank you, Tommy, for the call. Yeah, I totally understand. You know why the teams just don't opt for you know purely go down the youth route. Yes, to your point, they do want to win now. Jeff Saturday, of course, wants to win now. Chris Ballard's resume is starting to be you know, shredded a bit, to be honest. And again, when you fire a head coach midseason, what it does is it exposes the personnel in your roster because you're saying the coach was the issue, not necessarily the personnel. So obviously Ballard wants to win now. I'm just saying it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity when you go 4-8-1 and one, and you've had a 37-year-old quarterback under center for 90% of those games. I think the second question is an interesting one because I do think that Jim Irsay, um probably... Here's what's fascinating to me about Jim Irsay. I've had a couple of people from outside markets tell me that there are some owners in the NFL that have a resentment about Jim Irsay. I'll say more so probably a jealousy, truthfully, about Jim Irsay because in their opinion, Jim Irsay, unlike a Daniel Snyder, unlike a Jerry Jones, unlike a lot of the owners, not all, never built his own empire. You know, he is an inherited owner. I mean, obviously, so are the Roonies. Obviously, the Davises. You know, they're, that's not totally um, unheard of. But that, that a guy that's a self-made billionaire probably has more of a, like, resentment, quite frankly. Maybe a jealousy. But 
the one thing he does have over a lot of the owners is he's been around football his entire life. You know, Daniel Snyder got around football when all of a sudden he had enough money to buy a team. Jim Mersey was basically born in a locker room. And he's been around, not not literally, but I mean, he was a young man, I guess, before he was around it. But he's been... That'd be quite the story. Involved it, yeah. But he's been around it essentially his entire life. And therefore, I do think that he has maybe at times too much knowledge of football in his mind. You know, when he was the GM, I've mentioned it before, when he was the general manager, I... One of the worst trades in the history of this franchise was the Freddie Young trade. I mean, two first-rounders for Freddie Young who had a blown-up shoulder, couldn't play. And that was, you know, Jim Mercy, I think, took a ton of pride in that trade thing, and that was going to be a, a move to put their defense over the top. And they were they were headed in the right direction in 87-88 when that move was made. And then once they had a good nucleus, you know, the trade to get the draft pick for Jeff George. And, and I love Jeff George's talent, but when you – trade your best young receiver and a lineman to get him. So there were a lot of questionable moves there. But that was a long time ago. But I think that that still haunts Ursay a little bit. But to his point, Kevin, and the point I'm trying to make here is you have the challenge because Jim Ursay is the autonomous owner. But does he, would he listen to his daughters if they said, hey, dad, you're making some of these decisions too hastily or you know not thinking them through or too emotionally a would he listen to them and b would that even be a valid point from them and c do they have the 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 relationship where they could do that i don't know that answer yeah i think it's a pretty close-knit family to that point jake um i don't think he would listen though to what you're saying earlier and I mean, to Tommy's question, which again, I think is a very relevant one, Jake, I'm not sure how comfortable the daughters, and mainly Carly, who's the oldest daughter, who the one that I think a lot of people are starting to see a little bit more on the sidelines during games and, and things like that. I don't know how totally comfortable she would be absorbing all of the football sign-off moves just yet. I mean, clearly what she's doing and, you know, again, attending practices and wearing the headsets on the sidelines during games, she's trying to get a better, I think, full understanding and grasp of what the football side of things looks like. She's been primarily on the business side of things for the organization. Now it's, okay, let's get a little bit more into the football weeds of it uh, because obviously one day, I, I assume she'll be the one to kind of take over there. So again, I don't know, given her, not necessarily age, but given her experience within the organization, within the organization and mainly on the business side compared to the football side, I don't know how totally comfortable she would be. Um, obviously things can change, but I would assume Jake that Jim Mersey will have the final say, no questions asked on all football decisions for this organization as long as he's on this earth. Which might be a little harsh, but no, that's, fair. that's how I do you make a lot of, because I've heard people mention your mic on. Is your mic on? I've heard a lot of people mention this, and you make a lot of, and I know you just said, I always get them confused, the one that wears the headsets on the sidelines. Yes, Carly. So it goes Carly, Kate, Casey, Kalen, the three daughters. Casey's married to the Foyt. Right. Uh, not involved with day-to-day Colts operations. Kalen being the youngest one, who I've always probably been the most impressed with. Um, she's been you know big in the kicking the stigma. She was present at the Jeff Saturday press conference, for what it's worth. Um, about a month and a half ago now, 
uh, but Carly's by far the most day-to-day inside that building, on the sidelines, et cetera, et cetera. She's the oldest. Do you make much of her wearing a headset on the sidelines? I've seen people complain about that, and I'm like, I don't, does any? it doesn't bother me one iota. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Again, I think she's trying to get um, more in-depth, better understanding, better grasp, however you want to call it, of the football operations and how those things transpire in a similar way to what her dad did. And growing up on that side of the building, and you know, he obviously did it at a much younger age. But I think Carly began on the business side. Now it's getting to the football side for when that passing of the torch does occur. I I think there are probably some that have a PTSD almost from seeing, quite frankly, when when they see an Ursa on the sidelines with headsets on. She's not calling the place right, and they. I think people immediately knee-jerk, and I'm talking about older people, people older than I, because they remember Bob Ursay doing that. I mean, Jeff George will tell you that like he's on the sidelines and Frank Cush comes up to him and goes, or, or not Frank Cush, excuse me, Ron Meyer. Ron Meyer comes up to him. Listen, man, I, do you know what a skinny dog Route 3 is? I have no idea. What, what, what the hell is a skinny dog Route 3? I, I don't know, but the old man just called it. Sounds like a vegan hot dog you would get at like... <laughs> right. Like, he, he, he just called that play. Well, I don't know what that play is. I don't either, but what do we do? I don't know. I'll just run something, and we'll hope that that's what he thinks we ran. And then, you know, Bob Ursay sitting up in the press box asking his buddies, who wants to call the next play? What do you want him to do? I think I should do this. Okay. How great would that be? That'd be pretty cool if you're in that booth. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> well, let me finish this popcorn, and then can I get the next third down call? <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the head, but I got played two of the next drive. Yeah. Uh, in our jamboree the other weekend, we ran this and it seemed to work. So let's see if we can. But throw I think that people, at for for the old guard, Kev, I think that's why people yeah, have it, a, a problem with it because they that's what they need jerk to. I have zero issue with. It is gorgeous outside. It is. Holy cow! Your I, mood is perked up. Should we play golf today? It, I don't know that we were supposed to see the sun, were we? This is unbelievable. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Is that no, there we go. Okay. Rain on the parade. That's fine. Can we get some snow on Christmas? Is that too much to ask for? N- Just a little dusting. I-, I get it, but then it's there on the 27th. What? Just a I dusting, love, Jake. Oh, I, I'm not asking I for was, seven inches. I was wondering about this. This will be my... This is a good question, actually. If, if I'm 50, does that mean this is my 49th Christmas or my 50th? It's my 50th Christmas, right? Now you better figure that out before your algebra final comes up here. My final's today, 12 o'clock, by the way. 12 cool. o'clock today. Is the phone a friend? Can we all help you out here? <laughs> Listen. Bless I, you, Mark. I did not sleep last night, just so everybody knows, but I did make it in on time. Um, but in my 50 Christmases, I wonder how many of them I had a white Christmas. Boy, I've had 33-ish of them. Um, I can't tell you last time I've had one. One in the last 20 years? That's probably about right. Cold a lot. A lot of ice, but I don't remember. But So, yes, to your point, I'll grant you that it would be nice to get some snow, but, man, after that... Yeah, again, a light, a light dust. Is there I'm anything not, worse than that, much. like, mid-January black snow? On the, you're just like, ugh. Yeah, it gets real slushy. Ugh the worst okay we'll talk a little purdue coming up in about 10 minutes as their search to replace jeff brom continues um i think it's a great accomplishment jake that they're back number one it's great 
Great no accomplishment. Again, you know, what does it mean for your seeding in March? You know, very little, but should be noted, a big reason why they're one is the type of wins they've had, the type of wins they've had away from home. And I mean, you lose a top five pick, you lose an All-American, Trayvon Williams. Stefanovich was a huge part of what you were doing over the last couple of years. And yet here you are, not preseason ranked fourth. So you just simply climb up the rankings as long as one, two, and three lose. You come from out of the rankings, jump all the way up to one, do it, uh, go from unranked to number one, the earliest of any team in college basketball history. It's a hell, hell of an accomplishment. You know, the the thing that we talked about earlier, I, I do think that last year, you know, Jaden Ivey's an amazing talent. And he was such an amazing talent and so dynamic with the ball in his hands that I think a lot of times when he had the ball in his hands – guys were everything kind of slowed down because people were all waiting to see what he was going to do and that's totally understandable I think now what you have is a point guard where obviously not near the player of Jaden Ivey so I don't want people to think I'm knocking Jaden Ivey at all but now you have a point guard that when the ball's in his hands he's waiting to see what nobody else does and and there's constant movement and fluidity and then of course the fact that Zach Eady has evolved the way he has Isaac Haas was a great player very good player, I guess I should say. Um, you know, Matt Harms is a good player. Brad Miller was a very good to great player. There's a long history of Purdue big men that have just developed while they're there. I don't know that any of them, in terms of their mobility and their feel for where the basket is, has improved more. Going back to Jim Rowinski or Steven Scheffler, those are the only two guys I can remember that improved to this level Scotty as a big Scheffler? man at Purdue. What's that? I was thinking Scotty Scheffler, the golfer. Yeah, I always get him confused with Steven Scheffler. That's how you know I'm old. Uh, Steven Scheffler, the large mouthpiece and played for the Sonics forever. But Jake, how about his endurance? The dude played 43 of 45 I minutes know, on Saturday. I know. It, amazing. And Brandon Brantley deser- deserves a ton of credit. I'm yeah. telling you, like if there is if there is a position coach of the year in the Big Ten, Brandon Brantley at Purdue deserves it because he, ad- he absolutely flat out develops big men. You know, it's one thing to play those minutes, be effective for those minutes, which again is, is a tall, tall task. But then all of a sudden, you do it without fouling. I mean, it's only I five know. fouls. Totally. I mean, we saw what happened with Trey Jackson Davis in foul trouble the other night in Vegas. Um, again, a huge credit to Zach Eady and, like you mentioned, that entire Purdue staff um, for what they've done this year. Eady, three straight Big Ten Player of the Weeks. Uh, Kevin tweeted this at us. The last one time since 2005 we've had a white Christmas. Really? 2010, that would be over three inches in snow depth. Looks like a little dusting we had in 2017. After that, literally no snow on the ground for the last few and far between. I I don't want to get into some sort of a weird, like, man, even if you go back to the years, there's not many. Well, here's my question Is it natural for an adult to think to themselves, when I was a kid, we had snow all the time. We were constantly sledding. Is that really true, or do we just remember it because we got out of school and we made snow forts and that kind of thing? And according to this chart... Or was it like one snow per winter, and yet we think of it as being all winter long in 19... And I know we had the blizzard of 78, but, yeah, you know, I mean... According to this chart, not a ton, really, even in the 
70s and 80s. I mean, a little bit more snow than we've had over the last 15 years, but for the most part, it's not like the old wake up on Christmas morning, look outside, and there's five inches of snow. Right. Like 1960, in a Christmas 69, 95, I guess a few times around the turn of the century, 2002, and that's about it. That's a bummer. Now, my other question about white Christmases is this. I thought of this on the way in before we get to Tom Dean Hart here in like 10 minutes. Give me the three people, living or past, but give me the three people who enjoy, right now are in the middle of joy, of enjoying their six weeks of American cultural relevancy, only to go back into hibernation again on December 26th. Like, they're everywhere right now, you can't turn around without seeing them, and then you're like, oh yeah, forgot about that person. Mark's looking at me very intently. Talking about like Christmas uh, I'll give you an yeah. example. I'll like give you an example. Mariah Carey? I mean, that's, except for that she's, this Isn't is she in Vegas every night? Okay, Peter Billingsley? Yeah. You knew Peter Billingsley mm-hmm. is? Yeah, I met him. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Where? He was on Dan Patrick. I was an extra in the movie The Breakup, and he was in there, and he was walking around talking with people. You were an you extra? You were an extra in a movie? The movie mm-hmm. The Breakup? Yeah. You could see me. Opening are, scene. Are you serious? That's we're going to need a screen grab of this. Aniston in that movie? I met her too, yeah. And Vince Vaughn. What? What? Mark, what are you doing with us? How, how did we make it till 823 in December of... <laughs> and you're just now... I thought I've mentioned it before. I don't know. How did Jennifer Aniston look in person? <sighs> well, I got a drop for that one. Does your IMDb Whoa! page include anything else? Uh, No. What was Peter Billingsley like? Do we have a screenshot was, uh, of you? I was going to be next... Jesus. He's getting choked up just thinking about <laughs> I it. I know. I'm going to cry. Do you get paid as an extra? Yeah. Are you? Do you get royalties? No. But no, I made like 1800 doing like four days of extra work. Are you serious? Yeah. Look at that. God, how do we not have more clout as a show with this news? Do you have the scene? Yeah, I can pull it up. I mean, you can see me in the background. I'm right over Vince Vaughn and John Favreau's sh- shoulder. Ho-hum. Yeah. No big deal. No wonder Hard Knocks so when you your watch, hands. When you watch the movie, do you, in your mind, see like all the behind-the-scenes stuff, or is it just like watching a normal movie? No, yeah, I know what was going on. I was like, oh, yeah, we're pretending we were at a Cubs game. And, and how actually, old? Uh, I was in sophomore and... It was the maybe between my freshman year and sophomore year of college. Was it at Wrigley? Yeah. Okay. So we went, to, we went to Wrigley on a... It was in the middle of the summer, so the, the Cubs were on a road trip. So we filmed like... Two days with nobody. That well, Ryan Dempster was there throwing like side a side session or something. Ryan so we actually Dempster. got to look at something, and then they're like, "Actually, we need like twenty extras. We need to go to an actual game to film some scenes." So they went to a like Cubs Brewers game, and so we were supposed to watch that for a little bit. Be like, "What's going on down there?" My like, God, oh, they're filming a movie. That's pretty awesome. That's really awesome. I, I would put Andy Williams, by the way, in my category as well. Like I, I Matthew Williams, said, Buble. Yeah. Michael Bublé. Uh, yeah, but Bublé's like big. I mean, you know, like Andy Williams. Like, I mean, does anybody know anything about Andy Williams other than his Christmas album? No. Same with Burl Ives. Uh, you could you could put, at this point, Macaulay Culkin in the mix probably, right? Yeah, he's had some he's had some off-the-court uh, issues. Right. Daniel Stern? Is that David's Maybe brother? Most people watching <laughs> Breaking Away a lot. Uh, Tom Dean Hart, Talk Little Purdue football coming up in a few minutes. Let's do a morning check down. <laughs> The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Jake, the Colts are sticking with Matt Ryan as their quarterback, returning from the bye week yesterday as they get ready to take on the Vikings, who have been awful on defense lately. It's the worst passing defense in the NFL, so maybe that's good news for Matt Ryan and company. Here was Jeff Saturday yesterday on sticking with Matt Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Matt, Matt is going to be, uh, you know, Matt's going to be our guy going in Saturday. And yeah, so he's, you know, I'm playing on him, him going and practicing well this week and going in and uh, going to play a good game against, uh, against the Vikings here Saturday. By the way, according to Lindsey Monroe at WTHR, 15 white Christmases in my lifetime. How about that? You ask for something and boom, there it is. That. How about that? Does that seem small? Um, I mean, that's 30%, right? Hey, bring on the final. Bring on the final algebra. Uh, the line is shrinking. Vikings minus four now over the Colts. That's crazy. Uh, college soccer yesterday, it was Syracuse and penalty kicks over Indiana 7-6 after double overtime. The Hoosiers denied their ninth national championship, but it was their 17th championship game uh, appearance. Syracuse, their first national championship in soccer. So I guess uh, we'll take the trade off. Keith Smart and the seventy, the eighty-seven Hoosiers in exchange for that last night. Croatia, Argentina today in the first semifinal of the World Cup tomorrow. It'll be France and Morocco. Last night over Gamebridge Fieldhouse, you had the Pacers and really one of the uglier college. Well, first off, not college. Um, I honestly thought it was some pretty good defense by both teams. 87-82, the Heat beat the Pacers. Last night in the NBA, you had 12 other teams play. 11 of them scored over 100, and yet the Pacers and the Heat turned back the clock in front of Adam Silver. Tyrese Halliburton did not make a shot from the field. They switched everything. Bam Adebayo was outstanding on Halliburton, and basically it was a pretty good game. Late tie score, and Jimmy Butler took over there in the final few minutes. Uh, Mark, several are asking for you to post your extras. Scene I'm posting on the YouTube. I'm doing it. I'm finding it. I'm looking at it right now. I feel like oh, it, man, would be, I was, it would be very so handsome back then. It'd be very My readily God. available for me. How clearly is it you? 100. percent How about this? Not to not to. This is not an extra. My friend Jason Gross, his father, in Forrest Gump, when Forrest and Jenny run out and meet in the fountain during the mm-hmm. the protests in Washington D.C., they obviously. Took they took original footage of a rally in D.C. Tom Gross, my buddy Jason Gross's dad, is undeniably very clearly the guy in a light blue windbreaker right next to where Jenny and Forrest meet in the water and hug. He is the only person in the video that you can like recognize as a as an individual. And he like found the photos of that rally in like 1968, and it's like holy cow, man! That's pretty so he's, cool. He's an extra without getting paid for it. Mark, you got paid. I did get paid. They picked you based on your looks, this, right? You know it. It's only got to go time. to a Cubs game and got to go watch an old 97s concert for free. A matter of time before they ask you back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still waiting. Yeah. I got too big for my britches because I was going to do an extra work for the Express, which was a football movie. I saw that with Ernie Davis. Yeah, yeah. I was going to go. It was at the Northwestern Stadium, and they were like, oh, "You need to be here for like twelve hours." I'm like, "I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving." So I was like, "I'm already in a movie. Save it for the Polar it Express." Yeah, I've already. I'm already been in a there, movie. done that. I don't need to do it again. Last night, Monday Night Football, the Colts did not get any more help. Again, they moved from ninth to seventh in the draft order. Could have moved up to sixth if the Cardinals would have beat the Patriots. But Kyler Murray got hurt very early in that one. The Patriots outscored the Cardinals 17-0 in the second half. So 
Uh, New England pulled away for, or came back and, and won that one over Colt McCoy and the Cardinals. Patriots, I believe, are the final team right now in the AFC playoff picture. Good call from John Stewart, by the way. Jake Ben Crosby, another one. John Stewart's talking to you now. Well, I mean, you got Jennifer Aniston in your corner. Oh, gosh, yeah, I feel like I'm... that was right after her and Brad Pitt broke up too. Man, I wanted to hang out with her. Whoa, <laughs> hello, jeez, okay. boy. All right. Can we get Tom Dean <laughs> oh, on the line man. to save us, please? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I hope people have enjoyed our last show. Show the city is what I mean. Let uh, her see the sure. sights. Okay. Yeah, that's Mark Dykton, everybody. We'll be back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin, I got to tell you, Mark just showed me the uh, the clip from the breakup and there over Vince Vaughn's shoulder. Yeah, there he is. A little little thinner. If, if Well, yeah, I was like 18, 19. <laughs> Were you in college at the time? Yes. <laughs> wow. Year, right? That was a great shot. Mark's going to screenshot it. Hey, Tom, it's Mark. And uh, we'll send out that clip from uh, Mark's yes, IMD page. Yes, sir. Uh, we're talking a little Purdue That's action good. right now. Again, the last Power 5 school to still have an opening for their head football coach, Tom Deanhart from... On3.com joins us. Tom, uh, the latest Tuesday morning, what can you share with us on where things stand and replacing Jeff Brom? All I just said is it's, it's a very tight, committed circle of people involved here. So, so again, um, not much solid info has been leaked out there. I think guys like Mike Berghoff, the chair of the Board of Trustees, A.D. Mike Bobinski and the, and the search firm, which I believe is turnkeys involved. So it's a small committed group that's, uh, again, kept a lid on things. But i tell you what, if you were to back me into a corner, um, I still think maybe one of the leaders in the clubhouse, regardless of what you hear, is still the guy of Western Kentucky, Tyson Helton. I, I do think that they have talked Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator at, at, at Illinois. Would they really go the defensive route? I don't know. But, but those are two guys I think Purdue has at least had some some somewhat serious discussions with. I guess another question I would have, Tom, Tom Deanhart's our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline, is do you believe that Mike Babinski has prioritized a head coach versus a coordinator who would be getting his first opportunity? It feels to me like... Purdue, you know, things are in a good position for the program. So having somebody to just kind of slide over into the driver's seat that has done that before would be more advantageous than it was the last go-round. You agree with that? Yeah, you know, even at, a, at his press conference last Thursday, Mike Bobinski's presser in Mackey Arena where he talked about the process, what he was looking for, that, that was something he brought up. Um, uh, of course, he's going to he's going to kick every 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 tire, turn over every stone. But um, you get the sense they wanted a proven commodity, right? A guy who, who sat in that big chair before, pushed the buttons at, at a somewhat high level, and just been a head coach and ran a program. It's awfully risky, right? Is it, I, I guess any hire is a risk, but it's awfully risky hiring a coach who's never done it before. And, and look at this, fellas, too. Look at the Big Ten. That there, there were two openings, two other openings in the conference this year, right? Wisconsin and Nebraska. You talk about heavy-hitting hires. 
Matt Rule and Lincoln, Luke Fickle and Madison. Are you going to tell me Purdue's going to trot out a guy who's never been a head coach before and try to butt heads with those two guys, and Kirk Ferentz and Brett Bielema and P.J. Fleck and company? So, again, I had one head coach tell me, boy, this is a big boy league and it's no place to cut your teeth. Given that, Tom, what do you think Purdue fans, how would they react to a Tyson Helton? Is it Ryan Walter or Walters? With an S. He's got an S on it, Walters. Ryan Walters. How do you think Purdue fans would react? Is it a level of... Hey, we understand where we are within the hierarchy of the Big Ten, and Wisconsin and Nebraska money is just not readily available, or you know maybe program recognition. Or do they look at it and say, "Hey, Mike Babinski said last week, you know, it would be a different level candidate than it was after the Daryl Hazel firing." Come on, there's money, guys. I mean, these Big Ten schools are so flush with cash; they can make anything happen they want to make happen. I think. Uh, we all know the, the importance of a good football program, too, right? It's the most important entity on any campus from a revenue-generating standpoint. So and if they want to make something happen with their checkbook, I always think they can. And as far as how the fans would react, I don't think they would get out their pom-poms and shake them vigorously for either Tyson Helton or Ryan Walters. I'm not saying you can't go back to the same well a second time for head coach, but maybe there's some Western Kentucky fatigue. But you know what? Jeff Brown was a pretty good coach. And I think Tyson Helton's 45 years old, cut from a lot of that same cloth. Not as volatile as Brom, but I think he's sort of an up-and-comer. But I still don't think he would make fans get out of their seat and jump and cheer. Let, let, let me throw one other name at you real quick as far as an unproven head coaching commodity that I, I do believe they've talked to to some level is Jamarcus Shepard the former Boilermaker wide receivers coach who's at Washington now with Kalen DeBoer. He's a guy you guys have probably seen on social media. All the players are behind. They're all stumping for Jamarcus to be the head coach. Uh, a very dynamic personality, a great recruiter, developed David Bell, Rondell Moore. He's a guy that, <laughs> I tell you what would be awfully interesting, guys. You know, let me ask you this, Tom. Tom Deanhart's our guest. A guy like that, okay. I mean, it's a little different. I think if 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 you're going with first time guy, you know, sometimes you get somebody that's in the family that's been there. They're kind of understanding of what they're coming into, and maybe that offsets the newness, if you will, yep. of a first time coach. Having said all of that, do you believe, Tom, that I don't know how to word this that the the benefit and this is not a slight at Purdue at all in any way, shape, or form. But you mentioned, I mean, PJ Fleck, Brett Bielema, there are great coaches in the league that you're going up against. And so for some coaches that might be intimidating when you look at where Iowa is and you look at Nebraska's now got a, a coach that you would, would think can turn them around and you've got USC and UCLA coming into to the West. Is that offset, though, for a coach by the fact that you are in the Big Ten, you are solidly inside of a league with all of this carousel going on, the Big Ten's the place you want to be, and the money is there with the Big Ten? Does that offset the challenges of competition for Purdue that they face? I think so. There's always talk, if you follow coaching carousel stuff and, and listen to some national media, and just talk to people who coach. There's a desirability to be in the Big Ten. I don't care what program it is, Purdue, Rutgers, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio State, for the stability, the prestige, and the M-O-N-E-Y, too, right? And if you catch lightning in the bottle, who knows, maybe you can't have a special season like Purdue did. 
Um, so yeah, there are challenges of Purdue. We all know them. The job hasn't changed in my lifetime. It never probably will as far as the challenges go. But there's still potential there. There's still money. And that money's being invested as we speak in that $45 million renovation in, in, in Ross H Stadium. Um, and just let me back up a little bit and talk about who you should hire here, too. If you're the AD, you know, you want a guy who knows his X's and O's, right? A guy who, who uh, has a nice playbook, has some experience. But I'll tell you what, these jobs have changed so much in the last three to five years because of two things, the transfer portal and NIL. And, and you got to get a guy who can manage those, those, those two entities and, uh, and to keep rosters together and, and, and to supplement your roster with portal players, too. So, again, um, you know, drawing up a nice off-tackle play is great. And having a five-inch thick playbook is great. But this job goes so well far beyond just being a good X's and O's guy that, that it's really crazy. Again, Tom Deanhart's with us on 3.com, covers Purdue football with the latest on their search to replace Jeff Brom. Uh, you brought up the transfer portal. Tom, I know from a recruiting standpoint, um, there's been several decommits from the previous class. Uh, you know, to be expected, to be fair, um, where are we at time frame wise? Sense of urgency. You know, the signing period I believe begins a week from tomorrow. It would appear like, yeah, obviously you want to get the higher right, but if you want to maintain some continuity within a recruiting class or tap into that transfer portal. Um, you would need to make a decision here somewhat soon so the new coaching staff can be assembled and these high school recruits or transfer portal guys will understand where Purdue's going. Yeah, you want to go fast but not hurry. Is that the right phrase? Sure. Uh, Bobinski kind of talked about that last Thursday, too. He said he knows the calendar. He knows the calendar. He knows there's urgency. You're right, December 21st, the first day high school kids can start signing letters. The portal opened for business on Monday. So we're seeing guys pick schools as we speak. I mean, you're, you're, my Twitter timeline blows up. I never knew there were so many guys from like Coastal Carolina in the portal. So <laughs> right now, Purdue's only had two significant guys enter the portal. One real significant one, their guard, Spencer Holstead. I think everybody's sitting tight to see who Purdue hires before they, they dip their toe in the portal. Decommitment-wise, there's five guys already who've decommitted. Could be more. You know, uh, so yeah, they they got to get things buttoned up here sooner rather than later. And, and oh, by the way, Purdue's bowl practices start on Wednesday. They got a game with LSU in, in what less than three weeks now. So how's that going to look, guys? <laughs> I don't want to get up on a tangent with that, but I already reported Corey Trice isn't going to play. There's talk about Charlie Jones maybe not playing. If he doesn't play, will Aiden O'Connell play? I mean, you can go on and on thinking what that roster is going to look like. So there's just a lot of balls in the air right now in West Lafayette. Tom, I'm going to sound like the biggest moron on the planet here, which is not hard for me to do, right? Are we entering into an area or a time period where the big-time college football programs are going to eventually have to create a position of an assistant coach whose job is to do nothing but scout other rosters for portal purposes and then monitor and recruit the portal as actively as they recruit high school kids in the off season. I think there's some that already going on. Sort of like uh, the NFL teams have the pro personnel directors who, who monitor the rosters of all the other NFL teams. So yeah, I'm sure that the, the larger programs have people dedicated to that 
as we speak. And there's 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 tools I know they all use that they can instantly get film on guys once once they hit the portal. The, the evaluation process begins instantly. And honestly, guys recruiting out of the portal begins before guys even get in the portal. See, so I, that's cool. what I was going to ask. <laughs> Do they? I mean, Tom, it, and I don't know the answer to this, but. Are there rules that prohibit, and I, I realize, right, wink, wink, rules, but are there rules that prohibit, for example, uh, a guy is a safety at Kent State, and he just slipped through the cracks in recruiting, or maybe he had some academic issues in high school, and so he didn't get recruited by a lot. Now, all of a sudden, a Michigan State or an Alabama see this kid, and they go, this guy can flat out play. Can they just actively recruit him while he's a member at Kent State and go, hey, you enter the portal, you can come here, we got a scholarship for you. Do you think that takes place? Oh, without a doubt, it takes place. Nobody on the staff at like a Michigan State could could contact the kid, but they could have maybe his old high school coach reach Correct. out to the kid and say, hey, you know, Michigan State, I hear they're interested, or they could have his trainer contact him. They could contact his parents. They just couldn't contact the kid directly, but there's all sorts of ways to get to people without going directly to them. So, yeah, a lot of times, guys, if you're a good player, they say, you know, before we even get in the portal, they, they know where they're going. It's sort of like a really good house that never goes on the market because it's so good. So, yeah, sure, that's and that, that's the problem, the angst a lot of coaches have. You see guys go on rants about it every once in a while, so it's it's unfortunate. So, yeah, this, this Purdue coach, I'm sure maybe there's some guys I'm sure on the Purdue roster have already been reached out to, believe me. So, yeah, Bobinski's got his work cut out for him, guys. You wonder, everybody asks me, you know, is there a whale out there that we're not even talking about that maybe they could land? <laughs> if so, I'm not sure who that is. The one guy that kind of intrigues me is Alabama's Bill O'Brien. Um, you wonder if Matt Campbell, I'm not saying Matt Campbell's a whale, but if he could ever work his way back on the radar. I mean, you can go on and on with this stuff all day, but and Chris Kleiman at Kansas State was a name that was mentioned to me by a pretty reliable source of somebody that's maybe been on Purdue's radar, the Kansas State coach. Coming so, off a heck of a year, obviously. <laughs> heck of a year, and he wants to get paid, too. He makes about $3.5 million right now. Lance Leipold just up the road and Lawrence got a big deal. He wants a big deal. Uh, but some people think he's happy in Manhattan and wants the Iowa job. That's what he has his eyes on. But anyway, it's going to be fun. Maybe this is the day, guys. It all pops. I think it's got to be sooner rather than later. Certainly, I would think maybe before the end of this week, but but who knows. What do you so, think total that job will pay? The Purdue job? I think, I think they, they go at least six, right? Jeff was making around five, I think. I think six. I don't think they want to go to Mel Tucker, you know, Nick Saban, $9 million a year range. But I think six is pretty hefty. You know, P.J. Fleck is signing an extension, and he's getting about six now. I mean, Mel Tucker making nine is just like How about that? good for him, man. Cash in while you can, brother. Good for him. Tom, last one from me. You, you brought up the name Bill O'Brien. That was a name I, I was kind of intrigued by early on in the process. So was Dave Clawson from Wake Forest. Yeah. Um, was Dan Mullen's name ever thrown around? I'm curious just a couple of those other, you know, probably a little bit more of a name recognition name guys that, you know, SEC, ACC ties. Yeah, Mullen's a name that, that, that was on our board, is still on our board, but I, I've heard nobody utter his name at all. That doesn't mean he's not a possibility, but nothing on him. We had, we did get some wind that Purdue had talked to Dave Clawson at Wake that he had a family preference to remain in Winston-Salem. Mike Elko at Duke. We're told that he, they did have some level of conversation with Purdue, but he has a $6 million buyout that would make him a prohibitive candidate. 
for some reason, yesterday, the Shane Beamer train left the station from South Carolina. I don't know who started the Shane Beamer rumor. They're still tracking flights. They saw a flight from Anderson, South Carolina to Purdue. And all of a sudden, Shane Beamer was going to be the next Purdue head coach. So I feel as confident in saying that that's false. So it, it, it's like one little little fire after another and during these coaching searches with all the trolls on message boards and whatnot. It's, it, it's just crazy, and there's a lot of misinformation and speculation out there. Flight trolls, tracker, baby. Trolls on message boards. <laughs> Knucklehead that Central time. right now praying for <laughs> you over there, Tom. <laughs> that time of year, it's crazy. Information's, good information is hard to come by. Let me just say that. Information, but it's a good information. It's, it's really hard to come by. I try to turn over as many rocks as I can, text phone calls, people at all levels, in and around the program or in this college football. And it's, it, it's tough, buddy. It, 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 this is pretty zipped up. Got to think the white smoke coming shortly here from West Lafayette, but we'll see um, how that will unfold on this Tuesday morning as this search now approaches about a week into it. Tom, I've really enjoyed the conversations the past couple of times we've had you on here, and uh, hopefully we can do it again and maybe talk about an actual hire here in the next few days. Yeah, hey, maybe tomorrow we can talk about a head coach. Love it. Thank you, Tom. You bet. Tom Deanhart right there on the Payless Liquors. Trolls on message boards. Yeah, Shane Beamer, that was a popular one yesterday, the old flight tracker. Shane Beamer, son of Frank Beamer, of course, for the old Virginia Tech coach. And one thing I can tell you, uh, special teams will be outstanding if he were to come to Purdue. That's yeah, one they, thing. Um, I mean, they're he, saying the battle special teams in Notre Dame's bowl game between Notre Dame and South Carolina. Yeah. Notre Dame, obviously, a big punt block. Pumps and killers, baby. This season. Um, so, again, we'll see what happens here on the Purdue front. Colts made a roster move we'll touch on coming up. And uh, Rick Carlisle joins us at 930. Jake Colts made a roster move as they return from their bye week. They'll start practice today in the Saturday game. So, you bump everything up a day this week. So, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the practice schedule. Kiki Kuti. Getting the scissors there. Um, kind of been a return guy for the Colts this season. Bounced around the practice squad, an active roster. Uh, Nikola Kalinich elevated to the active roster. For those that have watched the Colts lately, he's the tight end number 48. They've kind of used him as a blocker at times this season. And so he now, if I'm not mistaken, has already used his three practice squad promotions the active roster, so now they'll make a permanent move there. And I would guess, what, Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers? Those two can handle the return duties? This is not the first time that Kiki Kuti has been bounced out of the 53, right? Sounds right. Is any kind of the bounce-back guy? Early in the season, they did that with him. Um, they filled Kalinich's spot on the practice squad with Robert F- Foster, a wideout, so... Um, Again, it is very interesting to me that they've operated this entire season. Chris Ballard is such a public believer, and you make roster moves all throughout the year to improve your football team, and I'd have to look it up, but I think they've made like one or two, Jake, outside of the building. You know, I have always felt, and maybe it's just because we cover the Colts, thus we pay attention to them, but it feels like there was a time, not necessarily this year, Kevin, but there was a time where... The Colts, in terms of flexibility of spots 52 and 53 week to week, seem to make those moves as much more than anybody in the NFL. I mean, it was every week 
this guy's down, this guy's up. This guy, just yeah. depending on what you had going on. Changes week. in the practice squad, I think, has helped for a little bit of flexibility there that maybe you don't see. But still, I'm I would be willing to guess the Colts are on the very short end of again outside the building moves, free agent moves within a season this year. It's been extremely, extremely quiet on that front. Uh, Rick Carlisle going to. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Join us in a half hour. Kevin and Corey. And don't look now, at least for right now, though, a sudden splash Tuesday to you on this Tuesday morning. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Hour number three of the program. And about 30 minutes from now, Rick Carlisle, head coach of the Indiana Pacers, will join us. We will, as a result of that, move the schedule a little bit. We will allow Mark Dykton, who is flying the Millennium Falcon for us here, that means pop quiz at what time, Mark? What did we say? 9.15, roughly? I don't know. You're the movie star. You tell I'm me. I'm not a movie star. Thank you, though. Ball State, <laughs> Georgia Southern pair of tickets, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's a week from tomorrow. We'll give those out. Again, the pop quiz coming up at 9.15. Uh, Georgia Southern, the alma mater, I believe, of Conrad Brunner. Yes. Huge Georgia Southern fan. Um, I was afraid that we might get word of this. I don't know if you guys saw this come across the wire. Uh, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated reporting that Mike Leach has passed. Um, died Monday night. A family has announced that through the univer- through a university spokesman, Mike Leach, 61 years of age. And just an absolutely tragic and such a sudden, sudden passing to... I think there were people associated with Mississippi State media contingent that were at a an event with Leach over the weekend. Everything seemed fine and normal. I know he had battled some pneumonia, I think, through the season. And if you saw any of his press conferences, it was pretty obvious he was dealing with some stuff. But Jake Hughes talk about an extremely unique individual. You know, I, I felt this way about Edron James. We were talking about Edge around his football life when that came out a few weeks ago. The thing I love about Edron James, talk about a guy just so comfortable in his own skin. Felt that way about Mike Leach. Just so comfortable in who he is. And again, super unique in how he thought about the game of football. Super unique off the field. And from a head football coach, uh, Pullman, Washington, and Lubbock, Texas are not areas that I would go you know, to find great success. He went there, found tremendous success at both of those places. Um, and unfortunately, Mike Lee just lost his life at the age of 61. A couple of things that um, jump out for me, Kevin, on this. Uh, number one, Mike Leach, it's interesting. Yesterday, I didn't even make the connection of the fact that we were talking about Mike Leach in the news and then, of course, Chris Beard, the basketball coach, and to think that both of them, I don't know if at the same time, but I think at the same time, both were at Texas Tech. Um, two different stories, two different guys. Mike Leach, I think, was known by a lot of people for his his fun interviews. His He had a very dry sense of humor, which was really fun. 
when he was at, I believe it was Texas Tech, at one point he was accused of like a psychological abuse of a player. And then we later came to find out that that was, I think, fabricated. Um, and he, you know, he had a circuitous route, as you mentioned, Texas Tech and then Washington State and then, you know, now at Mississippi State. But a brilliant offensive mind. And as you had mentioned yesterday, Kevin, the, the, the coaches underneath them that had went on, gone on to flourish, you know, he was an offensive coordinator. And he came up with basically just, I mean, Graham Harrell was throwing up unbelievable stats at Texas Tech. But um, he was known for his dislike of candy corn. Have you ever heard his take on candy corn? Yeah, didn't like candy corn and hates uh, the taste of coffee. Uh, he does not like coffee either. Mark, do we have Mike Leach talking about candy corn? Okay, this is Mike Leach when he was asked about candy corn and Halloween candy in general. We talked about on the broadcast how you hate candy corn. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Candy corn. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Uh, (laughs) uh, When I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, Gummy bears for sure. Sour or regular? The the Haribo. It's got to be the Haribo ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is... uh, is when they used to have the the uh, sprees in a box, outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, yeah. but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation. Although a while back I found the candy innovation candy than we did overall because <laughs> they have gummy everything. And then, uh, but the uh, um, the. Uh, you know, they have those Nerds Clusters, which is new. With the gummy. Yeah, which is good. The Nerds Clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably Almond Joy. Love it. Hopefully you'll get some of that next week. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Thanks. <laughs> Nothing like the alma mater playing in the Listen, background. And that was Mike right Leach, after they routed Vanderbilt. The other one Mike that's Leach long. Game. I, I actually, if you go to my Twitter right now, I tweeted out last night. I, I I went and pulled like six of his greatest moments and put it all into one video, which I couldn't figure out how to post it on Twitter because it's like seven and a half minutes long. But he was asked once who would win a fight between the U uh, between the Pac-12 mascots. I oh, he loved the game. mascot debates. Uh, he went. Uh, he knew every single mascot in the Pac-12, and w- was going mascot by mascot of, of who would win. Um, I mean, it's fantastic, right? He, but he, here's the other thing, Kevin. To me, and I thought about this this morning on the drive-in. Um, Mike Leach apparently had a massive heart attack, and massive heart attack by definition means, I, I believe, I'm not a cardiologist, but. My understanding is a massive heart attack is defined by the amount of blockage to the artery. And I had mentioned just the other day that we are in the final three weeks of the year, which is the three most common weeks for heart attacks in the United States. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's weather. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, But that is statistically the case. And it is very odd for me. People think when it comes to heart attacks, Kevin, like that'll never happen to me, right? And what's weird for me is when I hear about something like Mike Leach, I still think to myself, that would never happen to me. And it's very odd to realize that that did happen to me. And I don't know why I survived one and others did not. And when you see someone with the gifts, the talents, the impact of a Mike Leach, then you feel 
somewhat of a survival guilt that leads to a responsibility to just trying to do everything you can to make people aware so that they are preventative. I'm not saying Mike Leach was not right. preventative. but um, well, Again, it sounds it like you've been battling some stuff during the season as yeah. well. And it's a pneumonia. huge loss for college football, not only because he was a... a, a you know, I saw, I'll tell you what's interesting to me about Mike Leach. I saw this... Um, when I was going through the internet, because last night I went down a, a YouTube rabbit hole of just watching Mike Leach videos, and one of them that I saw was, it was after a game against Mississippi State. This one did not get the attention of the Pac-12 clip or the one about marriage, which is one of his all-time greatest, where the guy asked him about advice about getting married or the gummy bears. I mean, there's a million Mike Leach clips. One of them that got lost in all of that was... It was after a game against Mississippi State, and he's awarding game balls, and he stopped and was was clearly kind of emotional and awarded. He was like, let me give one more game ball to a guy that works as hard as anybody in this in this program, and, da, da, da. and you're waiting for like a linebacker or the quarterback to come up, and he announces it to a special needs adult that you can help, you can tell is somebody that just helps out, probably a ball boy or something for the program, and that guy comes up to Mike Leach, he sprints up to get his game ball and has this this look of just overwhelming pride in himself, this this young man, as Mike Leach gives him the game ball. And I just have always felt, Kevin, that the true measure of somebody is how they treat and how they impact and how they empower sometimes the people that are the most vulnerable and in that moment I thought to myself Mike Leach was at times funny Mike Leach was an offensive genius whatever else but in that moment that was I don't know Mike Leach I never met Mike Leach I'll never meet Mike Leach but in that moment that was to me the absolute encapsulization of a man or a human being or an adult that everyone should strive for. And it was an awesome moment. And those are the things I think are as much a loss when someone like him is lost as anything he could do on a football field. Uh, from the Leach family, Coach Mike Leach passed away last night from complications related to a heart condition. He was a giving and attentive husband, father, and grandfather. He was able to participate in Ogan and organ donation, excuse me, at UNMC, I assume that's a hospital located around Starkville, as a final act of charity. Uh, we are uplifted by the outpouring of love and prayers from family, friends, Mississippi State University, the hospital staff, and football fans around the world. Thank you for sharing in the joy of our beloved husband and father's life. Again, Mike Leach, 61 years of age. 61. Um, and, how many just someone that Jake, we just need more of those people, especially like in a profession where it can get so high and mighty, it can get so like buttoned up and robotic, and he could not be further from that. Again, not only in his personality, but what he did for the game of football. I mentioned it yesterday, Bruce Feldman had this. I mean, if you look at college football and how pass-happy it has become, Mike Leach is a huge part of that. And if you look at his coaching tree, Lincoln Riley... Sonny Dykes, Josh Heupel, uh, the offense coordinator at North Carolina, and you look at the Heisman finalists, obviously Caleb Williams with Lincoln Riley and Max Duggan with Sonny Dykes and Hendon Hooker with Josh Heupel. I mean, it's darn impressive what he's done and how innovative he was offensively and how that craze is now all over college football and Mike Leach's imprint is a huge, huge part of 
how we watch Saturday football now. 158 and 107 head coaching record. He was 8 and 9 in bowls. Um, he had another great one a piece of video that I saw where he was late to a press conference and and the first the first, he says you know he, he's late to a press conference they started it late and then he's taking questions and like the third or fourth question this guy says yeah coach uh, I want to know why this press conference started so late and Lee said well I you know I had some other obligations and and we're kind of in the middle of nowhere so there were some challenges getting here because there were some traffic issues and so I, I hope you weren't too unaccommodated um and you know we'll do a better job of making sure that it's comfortable for you next time the guy goes okay thank you my question then is have you announced a starting quarterback <laughs> and leach said wait a minute who's late now that was the first thing i addressed that's what i started the press conference with where were you and the guy's like um i was here listening clearly you weren't we'll go back and let you review the tape and then they just went to the next one he just was a fun dude man Ah, just a fun dude fun fun dude so obviously thoughts with everybody associated with the mississippi state football program and of course and they're in a bowl game correct family um i would assume they are um can't say familiar with what bowl game they're in but yeah i would assume they had a decent season i mean leach is out of he had a decent you know run there Mississippi State again, Pullman and Lubbock. You go to Washington State and Texas Tech. This is Texas Tech before a Cliff Kingsbury or anything like that. Uh, extremely impressive what he did at both of those stops before going to Mississippi State. I think he had a radio show in the year off from Washington State to Mississippi State. Uh, they are facing Illinois in the ReliaQuest Bowl. That game is scheduled to be played on January 2nd. That must be one of the bigger ones, right? What? Um, Same day as Purdue and LSU, right? In Tampa. So is that like the former Outback Bowl or one of those? I mean, it's hard to know with all the sponsors, but yes. Rick Carlisle is going to join us here in about 15 minutes. Um, Let's open up the phone lines for the pop quiz. 317-239-1070. A week from tomorrow, Ball State and Georgia Southern in basketball from Worthen Arena. Chance to see Michael Lewis's bunch. It's a nice start to the season. We'll give away a pair of tickets for that. So... Just in case Carlisle's a little bit late, not expecting him to be. He seemed very prompt last time. We'll get the pop quiz going here in a few minutes. I'm looking at the pop quiz now. I find it manageable. You? Um, Scotty has walked in. Yeah, I would agree. The answer to number three is one of my favorite athletes of all time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. He was the first ever pick of that franchise, by the way. Do recall that. And I believe broke a backboard at one time. So, yeah, we'll adjust the schedule a little bit here with Rick Carlisle joining us coming up at 930. And not to produce on the fly here, but do we decide that we're taking a break and coming back to it or we're doing it right here? No, Mark's taking some calls right now, and we're going to hop right into the pop quiz. All right, so, again, Rick Carlisle is going to join us just about 15 minutes from right now. Uh, Mark, do we have callers lined up? Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Tough act to follow from yesterday because Dustin yesterday was as good as we have seen at the Pop Quiz. Well, you talk about confident. It's probably the shortest, like, the quickest five for five we've ever had. Jake can replicate that. 
on his final today. That would be huge. <laughs> I need 192 out of 250. How about Mike Leach never had a season under 500 at Texas Tech? Coached there for 10 years. Impressive. Really impressive. Uh, who do we have, Mark? Pick a number. Let's go with eight. Eight wins for Mike Leach in his final season at Mississippi State. Martin. Martin. Hey, guys. How we doing? Martin, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Martin, I don't recall you ever calling in for the pop quiz. Am I, I wrong? You, are you a repeat uh, caller, Martin? I am a repeat caller. Yeah, I love oh. you guys. Yeah. Oh, apologies on that front. Did you ever watch the TV show Martin with Martin Lawrence? Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> did your friends, were your friends like, Martin? Did they, did they, is that how they referenced you back then? Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So how old yeah. a fellow are you, Martin? I am 36 years young. 36 years young. Okay, that is young, by the way. All right, Martin, would you like for me, that would be Jake to lead you off, or would you like for Kevin to give you question number one? Uh, Dealer's choice, guys. Jake, how about it? All right, here we go. The Pacers lost to the Heat last night. Who was the game's leading scorer? Would it be Jimmy Butler, Buddy Heald, Bam Adebayo, or Andrew Nimhard? God, I even watched this. Nobody scored a lot. Think Flintstones. Uh, Think Flintstones. Uh, Bam, Bam Adebayo. Okay. I would argue he was the player on the other end of the floor that was the player of the game there, too. Number two, uh, Pacers have lost their last two games. What's the longest losing streak this season for the Blue and Gold? Two, three, four, or five? I think it's two. I think they lost their first two games. I think it's two. Okay. You sure? Uh, three. Okay. Wait, hold on, hold on. They started on four. They started on four. Four games. Okay. Quickly, All right, question quickly number turned confident there. Hey, Martin, did you ever hear? Um, did you ever hear of a band? There's a great song where the name of the song and the band are the same from the 80s called In a Big Country. In a big country, dreams stay with you. You ever hear that song? Uh, just heard it now for the first time. <laughs> great. It's a great song. I didn't you and do me it. both, Martin. I didn't do it justice ever, but it's a great song. Uh, former Park Tudor product Jaron Jackson Jr. tied a Grizzlies franchise record last night when he blocked eight shots against the Hawks. He is tied with three others. Which of the following Grizzlies did not, did not block eight shots in an NBA game? Was it Bryant Reeves, Stromile Swift, Pau Gasol, or Mark Gasol? Oh, man, I really wish you'd have thrown me like Damon Stoudemire in there. That would have been a layup. Um, Stromile Swift. Okay. Number four, Martin. The Cardinals lost at home to the Patriots last night, Monday Night Football. They're now 1-6 at home this season, the Cardinals. Which NFL team has a worse record at home this season? A, the Cardinals are the worst. B, the Bears. C, the Broncos. D, the Texans. God, that's what I... I want to say Houston, but the Colts had to go out, go ahead and tie them, which is probably why they're not it. Um, so I guess the question would be, where did the Texans win their one game, right? Right. Um, Broncos country, let's ride. <laughs> All right, last question. Thanks, Ross. On this day in 1956, Jackie Robinson was traded from the Brooklyn Dodgers to the New York Giants in exchange for pitcher Dick Littlefield and 35 grand. Robinson decided to retire rather than accept the trade, and the deal was voided. Therefore, Littlefield did end up playing in 1957, but for what franchise where later Mark Dykton sat in the stands with Vince Vaughn as an extra in a movie? 
I turned on the car right when I heard this. It was the breakup, which takes place in Chicago. It's got it's got to be Wrigley Field. He's a Cubs guy anyway. Yeah, okay. it's got to be Wrigley Field. Uh, Jake, real quick, man. Just want to say you're the real reason I watched the show. You're a super good dude. But something you said last week, I got to call you out on it. You were talking about your graduation, and you said that you weren't going to make a big deal out of it. Man, you do so many great things for other people. You really need to, you know, allow yourself to celebrate you too, because you're a super good dude. And you're the you're the reason I watch the show, man. Like what you do for your friend who you know passed away. How you still go on that one way trip? Like that's just super good stuff. You're always talking about you know different charities and stuff people can get involved in. So. You celebrate everybody else, man. Celebrate yourself, too. Well, I appreciate it. I probably just should have done it the first go-around, right, instead of, like, screwing around and <laughs> le- yeah, leaving it unsettled. You know what I mean? But yeah, I appreciate but I- it. I appreciate the kind words. It'll be in May. It, what we'll do is just a huge PBR party. That's what we'll do. Martin, okay. thanks for the ego check for Mark and I. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. All right. Appreciate nice that. Shot to the ego. I love it. Mm-hmm. Martin's my favorite caller. I was going to say. There's a shock. Did you plant that caller? <laughs> martin's actually my neighbor uh okay question number one and i tried my hardest martin to give you a hint on one of these by the way uh bam out of bayou is correct last night uh number two the longest losing streak of the season said to tried to nudge him a little bit uh unfortunately martin went all the way to four the pacers started one and four not oh and four this season longest losing streak three games you blew it get to come back tomorrow. Big Country Reeves. Mark, you can come back anytime, especially if you close the call like that. Uh, Brian, Big Country Reeves was question number three. Question number four was the Houston Texans, not the Broncos. Chicago Cubs was correct. At the the guy's a winner. Let's get to a quick morning check down before Rick Carlisle joins us. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, we'll begin with college soccer last night. It was Syracuse over Indiana to win the national championship. Do the Are they the orange men now or just the orange? Just the orange. And you were mad about something in that game? I'm not mad. I just, I get it. I understand. I don't think that matches like that should come down to penalty kicks. And I know that people say, yeah, but the, and I totally understand the endurance necessary to play for that long. It is asking an awful lot. But to me, that that's where you have to start rotating people in and use the depth of your roster. Um, I just think it should go into indefinite sudden death overtime. Eventually, somebody's going to score because just based on fatigue alone. Martin, call in. You get the free tickets. Martin, call back for the Ball State tickets. Um, but anyway, so Syracuse winning last night, 7-6 in penalty kicks over Indiana. As for college basketball, in the Associated Press and the coaches' poll, there is a brand new number one, and they do it for the second straight year. The Boilermakers. Purdue, the number one team in the nation, over Virginia and Connecticut. Alabama and Houston rounding out the top five. That is uh, Houston and Alabama swapping four to five in the coaches' poll. Earliest, uh, but nonetheless, Purdue number one. Earliest team in college basketball history to go from unranked to number one in a season. Quite an accomplishment for Matt Painter and his bunch. They got Davidson over Gamebridge Fieldhouse this Saturday evening. Again, the uh, remake of the Crossroads Classic. I think it's Ball State and Illinois State, if I'm not mistaken, as the afternoon tip over there. Uh, last night again over at Cambridge Fieldhouse, Pacers lose 87-82, the lowest scoring game in the NBA this season by far. Um, the Heat 
tremendous on the defensive end of the floor, stifling Tyrese Halliburton. No field goals for Halliburton in that one. Uh, Jimmy Butler made some big plays late. Victor Oladipo, 2 of 5 from the floor. I thought pretty subdued reaction to him. If anything, a few more boos and cheers. Uh, lastly, as we had just mentioned, sad news on the world of college football. Mike Leach, the dynamic, eccentric, entertaining head football coach at Mississippi State most recently, of course, began his head coaching career at Texas Tech, also was at Washington State. Uh, we knew that he was in critical condition last night. He had suffered from pneumonia recently and then apparently suffering on Saturday night at home, a massive heart attack. Uh, announced by the family this morning, Mike Leach has passed away at the age of 61, a huge loss in the world of college football. Yeah, in a world where that job can be super robot for whoever is holding those positions as College football head coach Mike Leach was certainly not that. Quite a unique character, not only in how he coached the game of football, but how he lived his life. Very comfortable in his own skin. So think about people associated with the Mississippi State football program and certainly the Leach family for such a sudden loss um, over the weekend. All right, Rick Carlisle, he joins us next here on Kevin Corey. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, I got to thinking about it. This song has to instantly, I would think, put Rick Carlisle right back in college. I was going to say, Van Halen, was that oh, man. one of his go-tos? So that, that album, I mean, Van Halen, 1984... In 1984, Rick Carlisle was in the Final Four with the Virginia Cavaliers. So that's got to be like right up his alley, I would think, right? We know he likes music. I was going to say, we asked him some music questions last time he was on with us. I guess we can begin there with the coach of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Rick, you a big Van Halen guy? Uh, I wouldn't say big. I, you know, listened to a lot of it back in the 80s, as you guys are talking about, but um, that's not really my genre. I'm more of a traditional jazzer and stuff like that. So, yeah, but I, I respect their work for sure. That song, I just, when I hear Jump, I'm like instantly right back in, in, in that era, no question. Coach, um, thanks for joining us this morning. Let's begin with this since we talked to you last, because I think it was right at the outset of the season. You know, and I'm curious because our ebb and flows, obviously, when, especially with a young team. Where is this team right now versus maybe where you thought it would be at this point? Are you about where you thought you'd be? Well, I, you know. The expectation at the end of the year was that we were going to win 23 and a half games if you asked the Vegas odds makers. And a lot of people look at that to try to project things and predict, you know, the order of the draft and the future, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was, I was unsure exactly, you know, what the expectations should be. I felt we were um, better than that. Uh, headed into it because we have a great point guard and we've got some we've got some really solid veteran players that uh, you know I felt could play at the level that they're playing at you know talking about guys like Miles and talking about Buddy and you know McConnell and and and, and guys like that so um, you know I'm not surprised that we're I guess we're 500 right now um, a lot of people expected us to be lower um, I look at the last three or four days 
and feel like, you know, we should probably be a couple of games above if we have done our job against Brooklyn and, um, you know, regardless of what happened last night. But those are the ebbs and flows of an NBA season. And, you know, when you have a young team, you go through some of these kinds of uh, growth situations. And, you know, that's kind of where we are. 28 games in, as Rick Carlisle said, 14-14, and 14, the Indiana Pacers here. And Rick Carlisle joins us on this Tuesday morning. Um, if you had to look kind of big picture at the season as a whole so far, again, 28 games in, what have you liked? What haven't you liked about your squad? Uh, I've liked the chemistry, the togetherness. I like our, I like our skill level. Um, you know, the, some of the, some of the inconsistency that we've had at times, um, maybe a product of youth. You know, certainly there's times that you know I need to coach them better. You know, I mean that's it all. You know, every, everybody's accountable for everything that that happens here. Um, but people have, you know, have taken a liking to this group because we 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 play we play fast, um, we play with energy. The ball moves. Um, we have athletes. You know, we fly around. We attack the rim. Um, you know, the three point shot is is a weapon. Um, and so one of the comments you, you frequently hear is, gosh, that's a fun team, you know, um, and, I, and I agree with that. So that's been good. Um, the things I don't like, I don't know, I don't really, there's nothing I really don't like about this team. Um, you know, I know that we need to continue to add, um, you know, to add talent as we, as we move along. And, um, and I really, it's, just been a great experience you know the last several months working with Kevin and Chad on 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 this roster and the way these guys have have been able to turn the roster over um, and go from a team that was uh, you know a, heavily a veteran team um, to a much younger team and a much more athletic team and I think it bodes well for the future and uh, it shows the kind of work that these guys you know um, Meaning Kevin and Chad and you know, Kelly Crosscuff, Ted Wu, that, that they're capable of. Which player on your roster, Coach Rick Carlisle is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Which player on your roster do you feel like you ask to wear the most hats and have the most different roles depending on the flow of the game? Well, that's easy. It's Halliburton. You know, he's he's the he's the guy that has the ball. Um, he's the guy that is really, you know, I heard a great, a great saying, axiom, whatever, a few years ago, um, I heard from Jim O'Brien who did a great job taking over the Pacers, um, during kind of their rebuild era before Paul George and, and, you know, Hibbert and, and those guys. And he said, you know, and he was talking about the difference between being an assistant coach and a head coach. And he said, you know, when you're the head coach, you're responsible for everybody's attitudes. And when you're the point guard, um, you know, for a team, it's, it's much the same thing. You have the ball. You have to have an awareness of, um, you know, who, who your weapons are 
who needs who needs a touch now? Who needs a touch? You know, sometime in the next two or three. Um, and in a sense, you're kind of responsible for everyone's attitudes on the floor. And so that's a huge responsibility. Um, he's had a monster year so far. I mean, his numbers are ridiculous, you know, with what is it, 11 assists a game and scoring a lot of points. Um, he's played at a super high efficiency level. Uh, last night we saw, you know, a team come in here in Miami and really made a concerted effort to – you know, take him out and make it really difficult on him. Um, he had a very frustrating game offensively. He only scored one point, but he was still plus seven in the game, which gives you an idea of what great players do. You know, if, if they if they can't get involved <laughs> scoring the ball, they find other ways. You know, they move it. They, you know, they get deflections. They make sure the team's running. You know, he did a lot of different things that that put him in a in a plus category last night. And, um, you know, next time we play these guys, we're going to have to do some things to help him get, get going. But I think, getting back to your question, you know, he's the guy. He's probably our leader in minutes. And so a lot falls on the shoulders of the starting point guard. Be the Pacers and Warriors tomorrow night over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Rick, going back to your guys' trade with Sacramento last year, yeah. I was probably at fault for this, certainly. When the trade happened, I looked at it more Sabonis for Halliburton-related, and I didn't give Buddy Heald enough credit. Then you started to look a little bit deeper into Buddy's career. The dude is available, he's durable, and he is such a weapon, I would think, on a scouting report, just with how consistently he's able to stretch the floor. What has he meant to you guys, and in particular, a very young backcourt around him? Yeah, it's it's a great point. Um He's a guy that gets overlooked. He's been, I think, unfairly maligned, you know, in his career for, you know, probably assortment of, of different reasons. But what we have found, um, and, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, you know, um, we have found is that this guy has an indomitable spirit to compete. He lives in the gym. <laughs> You know, on game days, you know, we generally do our walkthroughs um, in the afternoon before the game because just to minimize travel, you know, we got a lot of guys that live up north. And, you know, he'll be in here in the morning regardless. Um, he comes in at night, you know, um, and he doesn't want to hear about not playing. <laughs> he just, he, he tweaked his ankle in a game um, it was a couple games ago, and... You know, uh, our trainers asked him about it, and he said, nah, I, I, I'm good. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, he plays. And so, uh, you know, it's part of the culture that we're, you know, we're building here is, you know, guys that obviously are good players, um, but guys that love the game and want to play. Um, and, you know, he, he sets a great tone and a great example. And, he has always got a just a positive, good energy, regardless of the situation in the game. He's always in the huddle saying, "Hey guys, keep believing, keep believing." A lot of time, so he's he's been um, he's been very good as a leader here as well. Coach, when you look at young players, and I'll specifically point to to Benedict Matherin, who obviously is going to be a very good player. But when you look at young players that get off to really good starts. 
And then ultimately, and it happens inevitably, I mean, you were a player, so I'm sure you can relate to this from your playing days as well. When water starts to find its level a little bit, which is a bigger challenge for a young player? Is it the physical rigors of the NBA schedule, which is new to a guy that was used to playing in college? Or is it learning to adjust to the fact that now defenses are starting to see film on you and are starting to adjust that what they're doing to limit you versus, like, say, your first month in the league? Yeah, well, Jake, the, the truth is it's both. It really is. And until you get into a stretch that we've been in the last two, two and a half weeks, you know, when you're, when you're a young player, you know, early on this season we had quite a bit of spacing, you know, between games. We had a – a three-day break one time. We we may have even had a four-day break, and so usually you got a couple of those a year. Um, and the fact that a lot of our good spacing was early, I think we have another good spacing period, you know, like sometime in February or January or something like that. But when when it gets busy, man, you know, it gets busy. You know, we we played um, seven games in eleven days or something like that on the road trip came back and then we played three and four nights. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking at 10 games and whatever the, whatever the minimum number of days is, you know, 15 days or something like that. And, you know, when you go from playing two games a week, maybe in college to now, I think that it's like three, three and a half games per week on average, maybe, maybe three point, you know, Three and three and three quarter game. You know, I don't know whatever it is, but it, it. I mean, it just keeps. It comes at you. It's like you know, it's like a snowstorm, and the snow just keeps hitting your windshield. You know, um, but there's something about him that is a little different than most rookies. He has really a a fire that burns in him to to compete. Um, to you know, to be great, to be as good as he can possibly be. Um, there's there's a t- there's a physical toughness. There's a mental toughness. Um, you know, he's another guy that loves to play. Has been dinged up a little bit, but is you know doesn't doesn't like the training room. Doesn't want to deal with the trainers. You know, he just he he just wants to keep going. And again, this is. This is the kind of guy that that we're trying to get to be um, to draft or acquire to be Indiana Pacers, and you know, people have a fascination with Ben. You know, I think because they see the they see the the toughness, so they see the grit. Um, he does show emotion, even though he has a stoic side to him, um, and the guy can really score. Rick Carlisle is with us here. Again, uh, Pacers and Warriors tomorrow night. Four-game homestand for Indiana as they just got back from that long Western road trip. Uh, he's with us on the Payless Slickers hotline. The other rookie, um, I think deservedly so, Rick, a, a ton of attention for Andrew Nemhard over the past couple of weeks. Seems like you've thrown him into a lot of different situations, and he's handled them quite well. He strikes me as an individual that if I were you, Andrew Nemhard would make me sleep pretty easy at night. And, and I don't know if a lot of rookies fall into that boat. Um, has he provided that for you and a guy that, you know, you can throw into different roles and you don't usually have maybe the rookie stress that you do with some others? Yeah, very, uh, very mature, very skilled. Um, not a big talker, but a guy that, you know, he, he assesses situations. 
he learns very quickly and he figures things out. You know, his college coach um, told one of our scouts, you know, when 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 our guys were were looking at him um, in the la- over the last couple of years, you know, this guy he, he, his term was this guy figures things out. You know, you 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 present you know a set of problems or challenges. He figures he said he figures it out as quickly or more quickly than any player he's ever had at Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's hmm. really established a you know a, a, a major big time program. You know, and this kid played with Suggs and he played with you know a lot of other really high level players um, when he was there. He has he has gotten on the floor um, mostly because early early on I should I should say because of his ability as a defender. He's been one of our top defensive players, you know. He and Neesmith probably are our two best perimeter defenders um, on the team, and we've got some other guys that are pretty damn good, too. You know, Matherin's getting better, Buddy's, Buddy's been better than people think. You know, Chris Duarte has, has shown that he can, you know, play defense at a, at a, at a high level. And um, that said, you know, last night, to start the game, you know, Nemhar's guard and Jimmy Butler. And, uh you know, a week ago yesterday, we're playing the Warriors at Golden State, and he's guarding, he's guarding Curry. You know, and he had to play 42 minutes, and and really threw up a, a stat line really for the ages. If you're talking about, you know, some of the some of the best performances ever seen for a 31st pick in the draft. You know, last week against Golden State, so he's been terrific, and he he Halliburton, Matherin. I mean, it's a threesome of guards that really puts this franchise in a nice position, you know, moving forward over the next several years, several meaning, you know, anywhere from, <laughs> I don't know, four to four to ten. Has, you know? has so, Neesmith cemented exciting. himself in that, in that thought process as well? Yeah, Neesmith is, uh, you know, I, this has been a great opportunity for him because – in Boston, his his opportunities were, you know, infrequent. Um, they weren't as consistent as they are here. Um, you know, I, I, I classify him more as a wing player than you know one of the one of our you know quote unquote guard guard guards. Right. Um, but last night, you know, he started at the four position for us, and uh, you know he was guarding he was guarding hero and. Um, and then Nimhard's Garden Garden Butler, you know, and that's those are two those are two really good players, and that's two young players, you know, that are taking on some pretty big challenges. Coach, we'll end with this, and again, appreciate your time on this Tuesday morning. Uh, obviously, tomorrow, Golden State, and the unique challenges that come across an NBA schedule. Where does Steph Curry and the Warriors rank in terms of preparation for you? Well, they're as difficult as any team you're going to face, you know, really simply because. Of their shooting ability, um, the fact that they pass and move so well, and Steve has really developed um, a random style of playing that has a level of unpredictability. Even though you know that <laughs> you know Steph and Clay and you know now Pool and Wiggins are going to touch it a lot, um, you know they they just they have a style that doesn't involve a lot of play calling. So you have to really prepare conceptually for these guys. And, um, and it's a big task. I mean, 
And you know, when you got guys like that running around that can throw in the shots that Curry and Thompson and these guys that we're talking about can throw in, um, <laughs> it is one of the things that's difficult is you know to just explain to your team that hey, when they when they do this and like you know, for instance, last week playing at their place and the building gets going, hey, we got to take the ball <laughs> and get it up quick and just. We got to counterattack. You know, we got to get it up, get it in the paint. We got to get, we got to create a great shot. Um, but it is, it is some kind of challenge. And I still say, you know, the 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 finals effort that Steph Curry put in last year, the shot making, the timely shot making, um, the diversity with which he sco- scored the ball, was one of the great performances I've ever seen. Again, Pacers tomorrow night, Warriors, 7 o'clock tip at the Fieldhouse, and then Friday in Cleveland. Rick Carlisle, the head coach on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Coach, appreciate it, and uh, we will see you at the Fieldhouse tomorrow, all right? Gentlemen, be well. Thank you. Take care. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Interesting More jazz than Van Halen, correct? Correct. I wanted to ask him, we'll, we'll table it till next time, you know, a guy that he played not with, but in the same era collegiately, of course, and then played for the Pacers, I'm curious if he thinks Wayman Tisdale was a better basketball player or jazz musician. Ooh. That'll be my next question. Table that next time. Always enjoy the conversations with Rick Carlisle. Uh, Some Jerry Jones comments on T.Y. Hilton. We'll round out the show with that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Again, thanks to Rick Carlisle. For those that missed it, that'll be up on the podcast. Always insightful listening to him and seem to be in a pretty good mood after kind of an ugly offensive performance last night. I would think that part of being successful working in the NBA would be the ability to just kind of move from one game to the next, right? And yeah. not getting too hung up when you win and not getting too... Right. Easier said than done, I would think. But when the Golden State Warriors are staring at you, that's probably something that you have to get used to. This Jerry Jones quote on T.Y. Hilton. Again, T.Y., a one-year deal with Dallas. Sounds like he could play as early as Sunday. Jerry Jones, I've always admired T.Y., knew that he was picking his team. He had a lot of interest out there. He can really help us out. He's one of the smartest wide receivers I can remember. He's ready to go. The football intellect of T.Y. Hilton I think has always been something a bit underappreciated. Never forget Andrew Luck going into Frank Reich's office when uh, Reich was hired. Maybe it was Ballard, actually, the year before and said, this dude has such an innate ability to know where to be at the time that I most need him. Special talent, T.Y. Hilton. How many total catches will he have as a Dallas Cowboy? What do you got, four games? Let's go with 13 catches. I was going to say games. 11. 11 catches for... And, you know, they don't need much, Jake. 11 catches, 106 yards. They don't need much. Um, for those that missed it earlier, again, uh, tragic passing and just a sudden passing of Mike Leach at the age of 61. Um, sounded like a cardiac... <coughs> something cardiac-related on Sunday. And Mike Leach, one of the more unique individuals ever in college football on and off the field just a huge huge loss no matter how you slice it if you only want to talk college football it's a huge loss if you only want to talk about just a human being 
it's a huge loss. Yeah, so the one thing I'll say again, um, not invasive, takes about 15 minutes, usually under 75 bucks at the most. Uh, get a heart scan. Now, now I'm not saying that's what that he didn't. I, you know, I'm just saying whenever someone passes of a heart attack, that's one of the things yeah. I think of. Be preventative. Thank you for that. Um, I know the boys coming up at noon. They've got Dane Brugler on, talk a little NFL draft around one. We will chat with you.